Hey, everyone. How's it going? Welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. Tonight, we've got Tim Pierce, V. Tim Pierce, on the show tonight. And uh, Tim, how are you? Thanks for joining. Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. Tonight, we've got Tim. Who's that? That was me. Okay. Oh, the echo's gone. Now I, can, now I can say hello, right? <laughs> now you can yeah. say hello. My yeah, man. it's my name is Timothy Stephen Pierce, but I understand there's already a Timothy, so we'll call me Tim tonight. But okay. I really okay. am. I'm another Timothy, so. Uh, but I'll be Tim tonight. So yeah, it's, okay. it's great, to be, great to be here. You've been Tim as long as I've known you. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> so I like Tim better. Well, no, I like Timothy too. Everybody, I like everybody. I like everything. See, the difference is the other guy. He spells his name with the. Uh, I think it's P E A R C. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the other one. Yeah, so it's uh, it's different. It's different. The other so, way to do it. But we always have to clarify. So, uh, Timothy, if you're in the chat, uh, we'll say hi. And uh, so, Tim, how you doing? I'm thanks good. Thanks. thanks. It's I, I saw one of these and I, I really loved it. So I was excited to be here and and talk. Oh, we're excited to have you. Oh yeah, definitely. It was great to meet you at Nam. You too. You were uh, walking around having fun with Pete. Oh gosh, yeah, one of the best people I've ever met. And next Nam, I'm going to go for three full days. I'm going to make. I'm going to do. I'm going to do. Oh it my right god! Year. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you know, we have an idea next year. I don't know if we're going to implement it or not, but it might be of interest to you. Hmm. We were uh, talking about doing a uh, a YouTuber sort of video studio in hmm. our booth. I think that's a great idea, and I think you should do it, and I think I should be there a lot. And if you wanted to do a Tim and Pete's guitar show from live from Nam in a booth with, say, someone, an artist or someone that's floating around, uh, you could uh, could do that in our little – Ooh. Well, the, the the thing is, Pete and I talked about that. In fact, we talked about it with you and Rob uh, mm-hmm. about a year and a half or two years ago. We were standing there in your kitchen, as it were, and we talked about that idea of doing something at NAMM. So if you actually created a space, we would be all over it. It's 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 something we should have done already. So that that's great. Please do, and we will we'll join you. Absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I think we're going to do that. I think it's a, I think it's a good idea for... I haven't worked out all the logistics of it yet, but we will have a room for video. <laughs> so that's the, awesome. the gist of it for for the you know, like your show or 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 some other YouTube channel that wants to, uh, you know, record something live from Nam. Although they probably can't broadcast it there. But well, if if yeah, if we if you do that, we will take as many slots as you'll give us. I would suspect. So wow. Okay. Well, we could do that. More than one. We'll have some of our gear floating around in the rooms. So they can be used and stuff, great. of course, yeah. obviously. Great. And, uh, and all yeah, that. Yeah, that's awesome. That'd, that's that'd awesome. be great. Yeah. In fact, I'm just going to book the whole thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking about it. You're going, wow, yeah, I think I can, yeah. uh, we can do a lot of shows from now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we could like, do our whole year's worth of content. Yeah, we can give, give somebody else the 8 a.m., but we'll take the rest of the slots. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Uh, so, are you recovering from Nam? Who me? Dave, I know you. Oh, Dave. Uh, well, Dave, Dave, I know. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. It's tough. That was tough for four well, days. Well, that was particularly tough after the you know week after I got home, I got the flu. 
Oh yeah, and it's a bad flu. Uh, yeah. It's a it's it's a, it's a, a bad, bad flu. flu. And then I proceeded to give it to my wife and my son, and uh, and and uh, he's pretty good. And but the wife's still fighting it. So really, uh, yeah, it, it it lingers forever. It's yeah. is it one in the you, chest? You get rid of it, but then there's still a little bit in the chest or a little bit in the sinuses. It's just mm. hanging on, and you're trying to get it out. It's bad. I know it. Yeah, yeah they're recovered. It's it's yeah. okay. This is, but they're still a little coming up. You know, <laughs> this is great. I mean, there is nowhere on earth that you would hear this kind of conversation from. We talk about anything here. Let me tell everything. you. <laughs> I mean, I thought we were. I thought we talked about everything, but we don't. You guys talk about everything. So. Uh, there's no. There, there, there's no. There's no filter here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's a few. I'd say we try to avoid. I'd say politics of, of all the things that we we don't talk about. Yeah, right now. Uh, yeah. yeah, let's let's we'll stay away from that of of all things. But yeah. um, everything else is on the table. I'd say. Okay. Right. <laughs> we'll get in too much trouble if we really feel our yeah. tell our views of that. So. Oh yeah, that just um, uh, so no religion either. So yeah, Tim, right. you you've old. been doing the uh, yeah no religion too. Yeah. I, oh, I sound like John Lennon. There we go. Yeah, no religion too. Uh, <laughs> every time I see that from Forrest Gump, that always makes me crack crack up. You ever see? Uh, you, you must watch like Forrest Gump over and over on cable. I mean, like me. Now when it's on, not over and over. No. Oh, like if it's on, I'll just happen to just like just just watch. So and whenever they have the uh, the Yoko or the the John Lennon, he's on like the Dick Cavett show or something. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, it's pretty funny, um, but uh, we've got a bunch of questions for okay. Tim. But uh, right. I I don't want to dive right into them. But I just want you know, just wanted to let you know, Tim. But well, so you, but you, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go you ahead. go. No, you go ahead. No, all right. All right so, <laughs> Tim, um, you have the Tim and Pete show also, right? How long you guys been doing that? I think we've been doing it about two and a half years. He approached me at one point and I was somewhat skeptical, but he's such a gentleman and he's, he treats everybody so well, especially me that it worked from the minute we started it. And we've done, we just finished number 16. He's putting it out tonight. It's Larry Basillo and uh, we're going to keep going. I'm going to get Dweezil Zappa next. uh, I say, yeah, I talked to him at NAMM and he, he, uh, Dweezil asked me to give him guitar lessons in 1990. And so I've known him since then. Um, and uh, uh, so, yeah, Pete and Tim, it's it's a joy. People love it. It's hard because the editing is kind of arduous and it's hard to get them done. But we're going to try and find a way to get more of them done. So, you know, you know how it is. It's, it's, it's harder than it looks to get this stuff out the door. Well, we do a live show, so it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of it's like a little easier. It's a bit easier. Yeah. Right. Uh, something together with yeah, music you guys. and guitars yeah. and amps and stuff. But I've loved watching your show. I've loved watching it, you know, with all the different artists and just, you know, you and Pete going back and forth playing. And uh, I, I love the the one with uh, Mateus Satio. I think is that how Asado. you say it? I think Asado. it's Asado. Mateus Asado. Asado. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. fun. Yeah. Just, just great shows. So that, keep keep Thanks. doing them. I, I've yeah. talked to people from all over the world who are appreciative of the level of honesty that we achieve, and it's it's something that you guys do also, and and that people really appreciate that when people are not fronting, when people are just being themselves, 
we haven't had anybody show up with e an ego yet. I'm sure it'll happen eventually, but it hasn't happened yet. So it's been nice. Maybe you should have Ingve on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know him, but I heard once that he was rehearsing in a Speedo, and so I respect him. That would be a fun show. That would be interesting, at least. Yeah. <laughs> well, supposedly he drives around his Ferrari, like, bare-chested. Well, that's, that, I guess the, that must have been true. That I can picture him in a rehearsal room wearing only a Speedo with a guitar over his <laughs> shoulder. I, I would be very impressed. You by know, that. The, 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 fu the funny thing is, is no matter what you say, I'm just like, boy, he can back it up, though, can't he, with chops? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's for sure. No matter how he is, he can back it up with chops. Yeah. Oh, sure. There's no doubt he can play. That's for sure. Yeah, and then don't you want your rock stars to be like that? I, I do, I suppose. Anyway. Yeah, yeah he's still he's still <laughs> kind of old school. Yeah, he is old school. He'll he he still pulls up to the guitar because he lives down here in Florida. Oh, and I mean, I haven't I haven't seen him in a while. But the last time that I saw was he pulled up uh, his red Ferrari right up to the front of of Guitar Center. So just right up to the very door, like just right there, left it parked there and just went right in. And, uh, you know, of course, everybody's like, oh, Yingbei, you know, and uh, oh, it's just and he, of course, he's wearing the leather pants, the whole deal. It was. <laughs> yeah, it's he, he's he still perpetuates it. But have you seen his setup recently, though, where, where he goes live, where he actually has the, the band off to the to the side and it's all the wall of amps. And oh, the my, band is, really? And yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. That's excellent. <laughs> oh yeah that's great like yeah. that's that's the epitome so that's cool so um tim i you know i've i've done a lot of reading and and uh in the past you know i don't know few weeks since we met in nam and everything and since we were able to get you on the show and there's so, so many people that you worked with and i was just curious maybe if you can just give us a, kind of a quick rundown of your career and how you got started in, in the music industry and playing and, you know, kind of a quick, quick overview. That'd be nice to have. Yeah. I've done it enough times that I can do it super fast. I was born in 1958. My love of music comes from top 40 radio in the sixties. So it's not the guitar in particular that I love about music. It was songs on the radio in the sixties. Then, of course in the late sixties, along came Hendrix Clapton, Johnny Winter, B.B. King, Billy Gibbons, all that whole assortment of people. And exactly. so I started playing at 12. Hendrix was definitely, like mm -hmm. a lot of people, he was the main influence. But Clapton also. Um, so I got obsessed with it when I was 12. And I played in bands. And then I played in bars before it was legal to play in bars. But that's a familiar story for musicians. Then at age 21, I was really, really miserable hanging out in Albuquerque, feeling kind of you know, hopeless about doing anything. I, and, and my parents gave me, my mom gave me her car and my parents gave me $2,000 and I drove out to LA and started living here. And when I moved here, it was really wonderful because the music business was huge and Van Halen was... Um, had been out for two years. Now I saw Van Halen in LA on, on a vacation just by chance about three years prior to that. I'd love to talk about that at some point, but so Van Halen was huge. The knack was huge. Stevie wonder was huge. I mean, it, it, the music business was huge and there was work for musicians at every level. I would get rehearsal paid rehearsal gigs out of the recycler. Remember the recycler? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah. 
uh, I moved here and I met one musician who introduced me to another musician and that musician got me two more gigs. So it started to open up like a tree. And I remember there was a point where I had $700 in my bank account and I, w I was able to keep that $700 in my bank account and start buying gear. <laughs> oh. And I knew that I, somehow I was actually, I was actually supporting myself in LA. Now, yeah. that's not doable now. It's too expensive. We're kind of like mm -hmm. Manhattan at this point. But I rented a house with Ricky Phillips from the Babies, and uh, which I don't know if anybody remembers that band. He's still a really dear Ooh. friend of mine. Yeah, and and another dear friend named Kim Turner, and we rented a house for seven hundred dollars a month in North Hollywood. So my nut was two hundred and thirty-three dollars. Wow! Excellent. Okay, then no, fast forward. To, fast forward. Fast forward to, to, to today. That would be about a thousand. Uh, yeah. Split yeah. three. You're right. Way. No. 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 More. That house. That house would be thirty-five hundred dollars a month now. Maybe four. House. Maybe yeah. four. You're right. Mm. Okay, so it's 1980. I moved here. I was able to start working. A lot of stuff happened in 1982. I actually. Because of the babies and my affiliation with Ricky Phillips, I got to do a John Waite record in Manhattan in 1982. I was 23 years old, and uh, Neil Giraldo produced it. So I got to work for Neil Giraldo. He was a great guitar player, and I got mm -hmm. to do John Waite's record. And I was in Manhattan, and I, and I met John Bon Jovi, who was living in the apartment above the power station whom his uncle owned and ran, Tony Bon Jovi. And all at once... I did demos with John Bon Jovi. I did John Waite's record. And then I came back to LA and I got the gig with Rick Springfield. Uh, Rick, I had done a, I'd been snuck into the studio and done a couple of overdubs on Rick Springfield's second record, not his second record. Well, he had the record with Jesse's girl and then he was doing quickly doing another record right after that to back it up. And so he was really big and the song was really big. And he let go of his band and hired a new band. And because I had done some overdubs on the record, I knew the kind of animal that I was supposed to be. And what that was is I went into the rehearsal with a pair of 100-watt Marshalls and played really loud, simple, aggressive rock. Because in his heart, Rick is, you know, his stage show is The Who. It's basically just yeah. The Who. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And maybe other earlier British bands, but it's loud and simple and rock. And I did no. that. And so I got that gig. So all these three things happened. I played on Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi, what ended up being his first record and his first single, Runaway, I did this John Waite record called Ignition that had some really great stuff on it. And um, and then I got Rick's gig. So I and Neil, Neil Giraldo also had played with Rick, right? I thought on the, the first album, right? Well, here's, here's what Neil Giraldo did. When Keith Olsen was recording Jesse's Girl, he put together a band and... It was, I think Myron played drums. No, well, who played drums? It might have been Myron. It might have been Mike Baird. Anyway, Neil Giraldo, Neil Giraldo was a guitar player on that song, but he was also the bass player because the bass player never materialized <laughs> that day. It was the day, it was, and I, I, he, the bass player is a friend of mine, and his name will go unmentioned, but he, um, he, was, he was partying the night before, and it just didn't, didn't, he didn't make it. So he'll end up overdubbing the bass. Whoops. Yeah. Wow. Day to miss. Water Too under bad. the bridge. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So that's super cool. So John Wade and then Bon Jovi, The Runaway. So tell yeah. us about that. So did you do all the guitar parts on that? 
I did end up doing all the guitar parts on that particular song. Uh, there's some debate about that on the internet, which I have no, it doesn't mean anything to me. People can say whatever they want, but uh, I did Aldo Nova actually, and I tracked the song, but when it, when it, when we did overdubs, I ended up doing all the rhythms and leads on that song. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So Richie wasn't around at that point. It was just, no, no, no. The thing is, John, John was just doing demos with Tony that Tony was paying for in a big, studio with and Roy Bitten played keyboards uh it, it was a great band um you know from the E Street band and mm -hmm. when it was time to put together a band John actually came out here with David Bryan and I took him to Casa Vega because they were trying to find musicians in LA to be in their band <laughs> oh shit <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was because the guys in his neighborhood he for some reason he didn't want to grab any of the guys in his neighborhood mm -hmm. but then they went back to new jersey i think he came to his senses because i have to tell you richie sambora was an integral vital important part of that his voice and his guitar playing and his image mm -hmm. i mean yeah that was interesting it had to be him the yeah. songs was well that's what yeah the writing the, three of the them. rest the rest yeah. of the hits that after Runaway, you know. Yeah, he and Desmond Child mm -hmm. and, and John Bon Jovi wrote all the great songs together. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's sure. it. it'll be cool to see him play with uh, with Bon Jovi, I think, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think yeah. I, I think they're supposed to do it. I'm not sure. Who knows? We'll see what happens. And now um, uh, our friends our friends are the guitar players in Bon Jovi. Yeah, uh, Phil X and, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. John Shanks. Yeah. Yeah, I met John at, at NAM as well. He, I believe he's going to be coming on the show at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. I think yeah. uh, we're going to have him with Steve Lukather on the show. Oh, that'll be excellent. Because John, John, John wanted to go on with Steve. He wants to grill him and ask him questions. <laughs> oh, that'll, be, that'll be just excellent. Yeah, yeah Steve, yeah. He, but Steve's on like a big tour right now. <laughs> yeah, that, it's going to be a minute, I think. <laughs> but, yeah. It'll be yeah, I talked, I talked to John on Sunday morning, and he was on his way to do some gigs and seemed super happy. John, I'm lucky because John hires me to play guitar when he wants to not play guitar and just sit behind the desk. So I end up doing a lot of sessions for John. I have done yeah. over the years. It's, it's, it's nice. I love working for guitar players. I worked for him. I worked for Dan Huff. Like you said, in the old, in the old days, Neil, Neil Giraldo, working for guitar players is a thrill. <laughs> yeah, because really they'll is. let you. Come on, let's do some good stuff. <laughs> well, and it just kind of puts you. You know, you just. I hate to say this, but you're you're really on your game, and I don't know. There's just things happen really fast, and they usually have a lot of great gear lying around, <laughs> especially in John's case. <laughs> That's true too. That's, That's true. true. You I ever do some... work? Uh, did you ever do work with Brendan O'Brien at all? In I I did once, and it was kind of late in the game. It was actually a couple of years ago, and. Really enjoyed it. He's very, very oh, fast. Okay. Fast well, here's, here's the thing. He is a phenomenal guitar player. Yeah. I mean. And a good drummer. Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> you don't know. I don't but doubt it, but it, yeah. You're, yeah. It's like. Phenomenal musician did, in general. I did, a, I did a bunch of electric guitars, and we went to play acoustic, and I went out and played the acoustic, and I handed it to him, and he just nailed it. It was amazing, yeah. But he's a great electric player too. It was he's, just, a, he's a awesome individual. Yeah. I really love him. Um, so now you also played on uh, some Michael Jackson stuff, didn't you? 
too? Yeah, the way that worked, I had done Toy Matinee and Bill Bottrell produced Toy Matinee, and wow. which is one of the best records I've ever gotten to do. Anybody gets a chance, check it out. Oh, um, that was a great record. Yeah, prog rock. I remember. You know, really fun prog rock record with Pat Leonard and Kevin mm-hmm. Gilbert. And, uh, so Bill went straight from that to producing five songs for Michael Jackson, one of which was Black or White. And Bill called me to come in and play. And you know, you never know in a situation like that whether you're going to end, end up on the cutting room floor, as it were. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, you don't know till the record comes out if they've kept your part, because the song morphs into all of these different incarnations over months and months and months. Um, in that era, it did. They took forever yeah. to do stuff. And, and, and it would literally become a different song three times over as they changed it and perfected it. So what, uh, what happened was he invited me in. Uh, my role was to do a heavy metal bridge in the middle of black or white. And mm-hmm. Michael was enamored with uh, Dr. Love by Motley Crue at that point in time because that was a big hit on the radio. And my job was to do that flavor in the bridge. And I was able to do it pretty quickly and easily. Michael came in. He was very respectful. He was dressed normally. His complexion looked normal. He looked me straight in the eye. It was a really pleasurable thing. But in that situation, you're in a cocoon. So you're in a studio that's very safe. Um, And so it's just me and Bill Bottrell and the second engineer and Michael. Everybody's pretty relaxed in a situation like that. There's no, you know, his guard was down. And um, so I... uh, I did that part. And then I also had to do another part. I had to replace a guitar on another song that was played by another guitar player that I didn't get credit for. And that's n- another one of the jobs of a studio musician is to do stuff that you don't get credit for. So um, I waited and waited and waited. And luckily, uh, I was able to stay on the song and not get erased. And you can hear the part in the bridge. The thing that happened was Slash got credit for <laughs> playing on the song because on the prior record, Eddie Van Halen did that huge, you know, appearance and they, for marketing purposes, they wanted to have another hero guitar player. And the way that worked was slash did the intro that came out of the ghetto blaster in the video and slash appeared with him on stage. But, uh, the actual guitar part, the main guitar part of the song is Bill Bottrell, another great guitar player that I got to work for and with. Mm-hmm. And Bill also ended up doing the rap. He wrote and sang the rap and, and planned on replacing it, but Michael wouldn't let him. Uh, I think I played through a Bogner. There was a Bogner sitting there that I played through to get, get my part down. I think, I think Bill had a Bogner sitting there. That's kind of the whole story. That's cool. Do you remember what you, what you used back in the day on Runaway? Marshalls. The only thing back in in the eighties, when you did a record, there were only two things. There were Fenders and Marshalls, really. I mean, boxes, yeah. sure, sure, but it seemed like all the records I did, you would bring your Marshalls. The producer would bring their Marshalls. You'd borrow other Marshalls, and you <laughs> would just find the one that sounded the best and use yeah. it. And then, right. if you needed a cleaner sound, you would use a cleaner Marshall. You needed a dirtier sound, you'd use a dirtier Marshall. So. Everything we used on Runaway, I used a BC Rich Mockingbird. I do remember that. That's that wow. was kind of my Les Paul of the era, and uh, I had a Schecter Stratocaster, and so that you can hear the the Schecter Strat doing the some of the, 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 the old harmonics. school the old yeah. school Schecter ones from the yeah yeah, yeah, that, yeah it was the, very the, heavy the, and it had it had the a, pickups a brass. with the big pole pieces on it exactly. yeah. had the brass pick guard yeah and then everything JCM JCM eight hundreds. 
Absolutely. Right. And was it nice. the, wasn't the Jesse's girl thing, Jason made hundred and uh I think you told me once. Was it a boogie cabinet? No, what happened was what Neil was Giraldo it? put together these custom marshals with JCM 800 heads and EVM 12L speakers. Yes. He that was his sound. Yep. And that sound somehow worked great for us in the 80s. I don't know how. I don't know for, how it uh, worked for Marshall, so good. 4x12 with EVM 12Ls? No, it was a 2x12 open back. Oh, okay. that, was, that was the rig. That was the rig on, right. on Jesse's Girl. And yeah, well, I think it was a boogie cabinet, I think you told me. No, it wasn't. It, it was wasn't? they were custom cabinets. Oh, okay. Yeah. I later on the second tour I did Mesa Boogie Cabinets. But oh, okay. uh, the Neil Giraldo Marshalls, I no, I think they were I think they were original Marshalls, maybe some sort of limited run. Well later then, I mean he had combos. I know that exactly. Neil, Neil yeah. had the old combos with E V twelve L's. He still uses those to this day. That's uh, what I'm talking about. I, I what it was. talked to him endlessly about that a few yeah. times. And um, uh, didn't wasn't it also a, a boss chorus or something on some of that stuff like the boss? I don't CD2 remember or something? that. I thought you. I, rem- I thought I remember yeah. you telling me that, but yeah. I don't. I don't know if that was. Maybe I'm not thinking right. But. The thing is, when I moved here in 1980, the boss chorus made its debut, and every guitar player all of a sudden had to buy a second amp and use a boss chorus 100 right. sure. time because it was that stereo effect. Yep, it was just amazing. <laughs> there were not a lot of effects available back then. No, no, no. not not a lot at all. Now, were any of the marshals that you had back then modded, or were they all just stock? Uh, I started modding my marshals. Never had that much luck with them, but I went to all the guys. I even went to Jose and had him mod a marshal. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think, of, can't think of some of the other guys, but you know it. it it was hard to get good modded marshals. They often sounded really bright and uh, zingy. <laughs> but yeah, you, you would try and get you try and find marshals that were higher gain marshals when you could, and and there were modifications going on all the time. So yeah, the answer is yes. Yeah, the Lee Jacksons and the, that was it. I, I had I had Lee Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Lee Jackson and the. Uh, yeah, and the, the Jose's and the, uh, yeah. the the people of the well, those were the two kingpins in L.A. at the yeah. time. Um, that was fun yeah. going to Jose's um, on Van Nuys Boulevard behind the vacuum. Yeah, and Cedro Street and his house and his back little thing. Yeah, wow. and one of Eddie's guitars hanging on the wall. Hmm. I went there in 1988, so this was like considerably after probably you went there. Yeah, uh, uh, and I had an amp done by him, so. I, at that time, when I was a eighteen-year-old kid here, and uh, you know, well, <laughs> wait, we go back that far, don't we, Tim? <laughs> I, when did close, we actually meet? When did we meet? That must have been eighty-nine or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right how far we go back. When you, yeah. when you, when you wow. started doing uh, your cartage stuff with Andy Browers, I think that's right. Yeah, that's right. so that's how far we go back. So we go back quite a ways. We do. <laughs> that's cool. That's wow, really cool. that seems like yeah. a different lifetime. But it's actually three different lifetimes. It really is. <laughs> it's like it's it's just it's ridiculous how long ago it was. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but yeah. So basically, so your career snowballed, and uh, so then uh, you did the Rick Springfield gig, and then yeah, okay, I can do this quickly. After the I Rick said. Springfield gig, <laughs> yeah, no, we'll, we'll just we'll take just your time. Yeah, so after Rick Springfield, that was four world tours and five records. He took he took time off, and I basically 
went broke, I, I started doing publishing demos, which I would go to a, like a songwriter's houses and I would go to publishing company buildings on Sunset Boulevard and stuff. And I would, I would get a, a, you know, a, a fee, a really small fee to finish a song. And I would do two or three a day. And that's how I made my living for two years. The great thing about that was I learned in that two year period how to come up with parts and sounds quickly, which I wasn't very good at until that point. Um, I had done some records and I actually got to work with Kenny Loggins too, who was one of my heroes during that Rick Springfield era. But after that, the publishing demo thing, doing demos for people actually taught me to be a really, you know, a decent provider of sounds and parts and rhythm guitar. I mean, Michael Thompson was already really great at it. Lukather was already really great at it. Uh, Huff was already really great at it. But I had to, it took me a while to, to get some of those skills together. So I was actually thankful for that. And then around 1990, when I did Toy Matinee with Pat Leonard, that was the moment when I started getting record dates regularly. And that continued for, you know, it's, it has continued forever. It's different now, uh, only because in the 90s and the early 2000s, you would do records and they would end up on the radio you would hear the stuff on the radio. Yeah. And in this particular era for me, I work with a lot of great people, but it doesn't always, you, you don't know that it's actually going to end up, end up on the radio. But a lot, most of my credits started in 1990. And just, I got to play with all my heroes, you know, Peter Cetera, Tina Turner. Uh, just, I mean, I, you'd have to look at the website to see all the, the, the people Google I got also. to play with. Yeah. I mean, but that was yeah. even later. That was, that was later, much later. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you did uh, Iris, right? Yeah, and that was my first session with Rob Cavallo, and it was just, it was this magical thing that happened. That was a magical he, song he, for them. What's that? That was like the, that was like the modern day reinvention of the Goo Goo Dolls, you know, that was that, that whole, yeah. That, yeah. that song and everything, that was, was such an, uh, uh, a crazy hit song. Yeah. Um, I, I and mean, I, I got to do that because Dean Parks, uh, he, they asked him to do it the night before, but he was burned because he'd been on a session all day. And so the second engineer called me. It might have been Rafa Sardina. He he had them call me, and they wanted a mandolin. And I said to myself, I am not walking into this rock session with a mandolin. So I actually brought my rig. My <laughs> rig. And I found out later that they were kind of pissed at me for that. But <laughs> there was no way I was going to walk into that session with a mandolin. And... I, it worked for me because I was able to do the slide solo and yeah. do an electric part. And then I worked with Rob Cavallo, that producer, ever since. And he's been the the biggest and most loyal um, record producer uh, of of my entire career. So I, I yeah, it's just that you know that was a good opportunity in the right place yeah. at the right time. And yeah, you, and, yeah. and and I like I like what you did. It's like, well, I'm going to do more. I'm bringing this. Well, I just didn't want to picture myself walking in with this little teeny case, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that guy. No. Yeah. Now, Dean, Dean would have come in with the mandolin that they asked him to do. Well, and and he would have done it great. Yeah, and, and I'm so <laughs> because happy Dean that is a fantastic, great guy. Anything play, plays anything. Yeah. He gets better all the time too. Yeah, he's crazy. He's better all the time. I didn't see him this year at Nam. Normally, I see him at Nam. I've seen him recently. I, I've talked to him recently. Yeah, he's he's doing great. Every so often, I do pedal board work for him and stuff, and uh, and uh, 
I, I just haven't seen him in a little while. Yeah, he's doing great. He's he works a lot. He's happy. Got a home studio that he loves. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's buying vintage guitars. He bought a Les Paul SG that's amazing from Chicago oh, Music Exchange. Maybe I saw that. Yeah, maybe you did. Yeah, it's. it's I think I remember him coming in here with one. Yeah. Hmm. Not that long ago. God, I see how you guys. I mean, we all know so much. We have so much history. We we know so many of the same people that you. It just it's just endless. Yeah, right. It's just endless. <laughs> so, <clears throat> how about some stories? How about some stuff that people don't know you played on? I don't know. I mean, uh, that's yeah, the, the, over the years, like some. Oh, okay, okay. So bigger, probably, bigger things that that people might not know that you played on. The the probably the the greatest example of that is Shine Down, and that was with Rob Cavallo. They they were at a point in their, uh, I think it was around two thousand eight. Um, they were at a point in their, I may have the year wrong. I mean, I, I, I want to think something was five years ago and it was really 10 years ago. Yeah, you know, so. exactly. I know. Um, <laughs> I really know. <laughs> but she was shined down. They were at a point where they, the, they, the guitar player in the band was having some, some trouble. And so I came in and I, I, on that record, I ended up doing all the guitars and it was a situation where uh, then on the next record, I ended up doing almost all the guitars. And it was a situation where they couldn't really reveal that. Mm. And uh, I was really proud of those records. I love the band. I, I love the guys in the band. And I love Brent singing. He's a phenomenal rock singer. Mm. I was really, really proud of it was The Sound of Madness. Uh, and then the the record after that might have been called Bully, but th that was the single from the record. But I actually got to do, I've never looked like a rock guy, really, but I kind of am a rock guy inside. Mm -hmm. And it was just great to to be the guitar player in a rock band at that level with a singer that good, you know, really, right, really right, great. Right. No, he was a great, uh, a great singer. I did something for one of the guitar players, I think, at some point in time. Um, some sort of switcher or something. <clears throat> I don't yeah, really remember. They, they they do well out there. They tour constantly, and and I love right. them. They're great. Right. There's got to be yep. a few other ones too, didn't you? Yeah. A few other ones over the years that you, that you did through the nineties. Or you know, I, I that's going to be a hard thing for me to think of uh, unless uh, I would have to kind of look at my discography, which I'm kind of not prepared to do. <laughs> well, I've, I've got a little bit in front of me. What What did you do with Ozzy Osbourne? Just curious. Okay, that. Yeah, well, I quiz don't. You. I don't think that's a. I don't honestly don't think that's. It's. It's either not a real credit, or. Hmm. It's either a mistake, or it's something I did with Bob Marlette. Do you know Bob Marlette? Yeah, I do. I did so much work with Bob Marlette that it we could have done an Ozzy song easily. Or I'm wondering if it was a for, for a while. Rob Cavallo was doing a lot of movie songs where we would do the song and they would add the the uh, you know I did a, a Kiss song where I played the guitars on a Kiss song, and they added the vocals afterwards. So I guess there are a lot of situations where you do ghost behind artists that I've just even forgotten. There was a period where we would with Rob Cavallo where they would send us Atlantic records would send us 
song after song by artist after artist, and we would literally re-record the music underneath, and then they would release wow. it. <laughs> and so, wow. you know, it, it, it. And some of these bands, you know, they have had recognizable names. A lot of, them. I mean, like, mm-hmm. uh, I did a, a really great single with a band called Uncle Cracker, and they were there. Oh, yeah. I loved, sure, loved I those that. guys, but. I just I'm not really prepared prepared right now with names. You know? <laughs> it's okay. I would have had to prepare for this. No, no worries. But um, yeah, it, it, yeah, we we did a lot of ghosting. Well, you know, the funny thing is, I remember talking to uh, not that long ago. Uh, uh, well, actually, maybe it was like ten years ago. For all I know, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, not that long ago, it could be ten years. Uh, Josh Freeze, he goes, "Yeah, I'm the most hated person drummer ever." I go, what do you Why? mean? Uh, because every drummer hates me because I'm the guy who replaces his parts. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the drum chair was traditionally where that would happen the most. And sometimes yeah. at night, unbeknownst to the band, yeah, yeah, late producer uh, calls him and just come in and fix this. And he plays it. And then sometimes the band member thinks he played it or they edited it. Yeah. Um, so he goes. So I'm hated, <laughs> and so and then he goes, and then he goes, and then the producer started threatening the band with calling me. Oh, so like if you don't you know, get it right, we're gonna call Josh. Right, we're gonna call Josh. <laughs> yeah, and, and Josh is like, really? <laughs> oh, that's great. Anyway, yeah. Funny. I mean, he's, I, yeah, I mean, he's yeah. played probably, uh, you know, on a, uh, you know, a long discography like you do, like you have, Tim. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I, oh, and even, yeah, even more records. I have had the experience of being there with the guitar player that I'm replacing. And it's it's never easy. Uh, you know, you can kind of become friends, but it, it's it's just yeah, so it's hard for both uneasy. parties. Yeah, it's got to be <laughs> so hard for both parties. You know, yeah, it's it's like, do you mind if I screw your wife? <laughs> it really is like that, yeah. And then you know, it's it's yeah, it's sanctioned by everybody in the room, yeah. And, yeah. And it's approved get by the lead singer and the manager and everybody, but that's you know, it's wrong. Yeah. yeah. And meanwhile, yeah. the guy's like, uh, no, it's yeah. not okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Hey, um. One of the questions here is, and I, I don't know the answer to this. Did you do parts? This is from JV, JVIN248. Tim, did you do parts on Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet? No. The, the thing is, okay. the stuff I did with, with John was before he had his record deal. It was funded by his uncle. And one, we, did a, we did like six or eight songs. One of those songs ended up being Runaway. And it's the only song on his first album that wasn't his new band. So I did one song with him on the first record that was his first single, and then everything else since then was his band. So I never. The cool thing was, ten years later, I was walking down the hall at A and M, which is now Hanson, at a studio, and he he passed me and said, "Hey, I need you to play a solo on this Christmas song." And so I went in and played on a Christmas song, and I still hear it every Christmas. And it's one of the best (laughs) solos I've ever done on a record. It's it's so good. I forget the name of it. There will be Christmas or something. I mean, it's really good. It's really good. It's got a really long solo on the vamp. 
and mm. still proud of it to this day. And that was 10 years later. Yeah. Well, I got to say, you know, the, 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 the runaway song that you did on the first record too, the, the solo on that and stuff. <laughs> no, that was, it's Thanks. a very memorable part. Thank yeah. you. Uh, you know, you can, you can hum that in your head to this day. And, and, you know, I'm not, not like the most massive Bon Jovi fan I, either, but but still to this day, that song in particular stood out as being. Um, I actually really like that song. I thought that, that was a great song. Yeah, Thanks. and 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 the part I still I can I can <laughs> solo right now in my head. Yeah. So uh, to me, that means great. <laughs> Good. Thanks. You know, that means great greatness. You know, it's like when a song. Um, I often say this to people when a, uh, when a, the classic songs that you grew up with, um, songs by, you know, whoever, the who, let's say, or something, you can remember every little part of it. It's not just, yeah, it's not just the vocal hook. You remember the chorus. Uh, it's, it's the guitar part, the opening guitar part, you know, the opening keyboard part in Bob O'Reilly. If you hear that, just the first little bit of it, you're like, oh, that's Bob O'Reilly. Um, there's every aspect of that song was a hook. Uh, uh, guitars, keyboard parts. Uh, and that made up a fantastic song. And I, I just sometimes don't think um, songs these days are quite crafted the same way. Well, they're not. People don't take as much time. People don't bleed for them as much. Uh, yeah, you, you, bleed uh, for them is a great, that's a great saying. Exactly. And and frankly, they can't afford to sometimes because you know you you they just people have to move so fast because they have limited <laughs> budgets and stuff. But it's true, rock is a, it, rock is a great idea. It's like simple great ideas just chained together, and the simplicity is kind of shocking sometimes. I think of all right now and how simple and great mm-hmm. that is. Oh my God! Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and right now, as you say that, I hear the guitar part. Yeah. Right in my head, yeah, and, and that's the thing you don't always get these days. You no. don't get where every part of the song is such an identifiable part, and that, um, and you know, someone accused me of this before of that I sound old about this. <laughs> um, but they, there's been a few of those. Know. I don't know. I, I don't know if I. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to back that. I, I still think. A great song is a great song, and I just don't think there's as much time spent on the song craft or the as there used to be. It's true, and the vetting process is not as 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 ruthless, and that makes for a lot of stuff that's almost there. You know. Yeah, and 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 you know, I kind of think also in society today too. I don't know if we have the attention span, uh, uh, the attention span um, to write those songs. Uh, I think you're going to get distracted on your Facebook, on your phone True. while you're writing your song. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, plus there were such great producers back then too, that helped shape well, the great engineers, great yeah. producers, great, uh, great musicians. Uh, it was interesting. Well, we, did you, yeah. did you see the Quincy Jones? Have you worked with Quincy Jones before? Never. And, and I do want to see that thing. I, I'm curious about it. Have you, have you, did you see the, uh, uh the little, interview he did no not yet oh yeah, that was he recently he apologized just recently for it well i don't you know what here's my take on that I, I think at this point in his life i think he's 
he's like, uh, I, I, I loved that interview because um, it was kind of a no, a no, no punches pulled, you know. There was some uh, parts it, I loved it, but the Beatles, was, uh, the Beatles stuff, I think he went a little far. Well, well his his idea of music, he has a different aesthetic, so I forgive him that. Okay, I mean, he's, he's wrong. He's wrong about that, but it's just from his point of view, music is something different than that. So from I his point, from yeah. his point of okay. view, at the time when they first started, that's how I deemed it. At the time when they first came started, they couldn't play their instrument uh, as well as he thought they should. Yeah. Uh, or, but, or do you think it was just that be- they wrote amazing songs? But um, I think uh, I loved the fact that it, his interview was pretty no holes bar. You, you know, it's just like uh, I'm this age and I don't give a fuck about what I'm yeah. saying now. I love that. And, 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 I saw another interview he just did with that. Um, I'm gonna say this wrong because I don't really know him. Uh, there's a there's a, a like an R and B artist or something, Khalid or Khal, uh, I'd be Khalid K A L H I D. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did he did an interview with him where he was sitting down with him on video, and he was talking with Quincy, and they were going back and forth too in this in this video, and um, it was for. I forgot what it was for us or something. I don't, I don't remember what it was for. And uh, that was a really cool interview. Also. I mean, this man is royalty kind of, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't deny his his success. His body of work is amazing. His body of work is, is crazy and the success. And uh, I mean, they even brought up, you know, in the, one of the articles, one of the two, they brought up Michael Jackson, and it's like, what, what do you think about Michael and his change and his thing? And he's like, I gave him shit. Basically, he said, I gave him shit for that all the time. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> this is like, what are you doing? What the hell? What the, you know, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, yeah. and then, um, yeah, he was pretty truthful and forthright. He was about pretty that. truthful and forthright, and 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 man, it was it was very refreshing to see to me. Because uh, I think uh, you know he lived through several eras uh, of oh, the this civil music industry, and uh, him being kind of the king of it. It was interesting. If Tim, if you haven't seen some of these, you should watch them. They're great. Yeah, I want to. It's I've just been too busy. Yeah, read, read, or watch them. Or, yeah, uh, I think uh, it was it was interesting. It was uh, yeah. I'd like yeah, to sit down to. with him. That would be a fun yeah fun discussion. Hey, we got a quick question. Um, Matt Harrison wants to know, Mark, do I need to email tonetalk at gmail.com to buy a shirt? Um, actually, email tonetalkmark, M-A-R-C, at gmail.com, and we've got shirts in stock. All right, so uh, email me. Uh, the email address is also on the, on the, on the uh, YouTube website, so just check it out and email me, and we've got shirts. Um, what about Madonna, Tim? That was a very quick one also. I had started working with Pat Leonard right after he produced Like a Virgin. So I missed most of that stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, the work I did with her was just a few sessions. And like most artists, she was very 
focused and disciplined. She was famous for not letting anybody have lunch because she thought it slowed everybody down. She yes. wanted to work and, and get out of there. So that I, I kind of understand that. Um, I just know from his work with her, I mean, he would write these beautiful pieces of music and she would come in and basically sing two takes and that was it. She was, you know, she, she did her stuff really, really quickly. And just the combination, you know, he ended up, I think, writing and producing 35 Madonna songs. And it was fun, fun to watch him get paid for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And, and fun to be a part of his, you know, his musical life. But I came along a little too late to work much on her. Her records, like, like a Virgin, I think was the last full record he produced. And I met, I met him one minute after that. Basically, right. I went to the rap party for that record. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, and Springsteen, that's another name I see. Yeah, that, that was amazing. I started working with Roy Bitten a lot. He would bring me into tons of sessions that he was doing down at A&M, you know, like Stevie Nicks and um, Patti Smythe and all of these peep, great people. I got to play on these records. And there was a certain point where it was just that moment when Bruce wanted to get away from the E Street Band. And I, I was working with Roy a lot and he, you know, he ushered me in and it was, Bruce was incredible. I mean, you know, you, you go into a situation like that and you know that you're capable of playing the music. And I'm going to lump, I did a Don Henley record and this, it was the same experience. Hmm. Um, you know that you can play the E chord that's required and the A chord and the B chord and whatever. But what's incredibly difficult and treacherous is stylistically, those artists are looking for something that doesn't go. And even, even Bruce explained it to me when we were working, it can't go a little too much this way or a little too much that way. Maybe it has to be Motown, but you can't recognize it as Motown. And then maybe it has to sort of lean over to, Credence Clearwater, but it can't sound like Credence. I mean, they're, they're very, very careful about how they surround their art with noises and guitar noises and drum noises and stuff. So you don't like in, in Springsteen's case, it was a total success. I, I got to do, you know, a, a, a fair amount of work on, I think the record was called Human Touch. But in the case of Don Henley, I was so excited to go in there. Because I thought, okay, he's finally found his guitar player, and it's me. <laughs> oh, boy. It was not me. Yeah. It was, you know, I barely ended up with one hardly discernible part on one song. Huh. Um, and that's nobody's fault. It's just, this, you know, as these people are bleeding to death for great songs and great music and great records, everybody, you know, we all get wounded and, and have to go... <laughs> you know get our wounds repaired and move on you know it's it's right. not but it's all in the service of something great it really is uh springsteen a lovely human being i ended up playing after that i ended up playing on his wife's record hmm. because of that and and that was a situation where they had his house in beverly hills and they had the house next door and the house next door was the studio and he and his wife patty scalfa they would walk through the the yard into the you know connecting gate and yeah, it was great. They're they're really really nice people, wonderful people. Super cool. And right. what about Clapton? You mentioned Clapton before as being an influence, and then did you end up working with him? 
that's a credit. Okay, so this is a this will lead to another good story. Okay. Um, I've played rhythm guitar on four Santana records, including the most recent one, I think. And I have never met Carlos Santana. <laughs> um, so in the case of that Eric Clapton record, that's that's what what I was mentioning earlier. There was a point where Rob Caballo was doing movie songs because the Iris was a movie song. And so it was the soundtrack. You know, they would collect all these songs and there was big budgets to make songs for movies. I did a lot of that with Trevor Horn, too. And... The Clapton song was done without him. I think he may have showed up the day after I finished my part. Um, but that's pretty, some, like I said, somewhat common. In, in Santana's case, the records that I worked on were all done down here by producers. And then he gets delivered, you know, the the music, he makes comments, he makes changes, and then he, he, he overdubs on it. So I did not meet Eric Clapton. I have not met Carlos Santana, but I've done, I mean, I've done like 30 Santana songs. Rhythm guitar is like crazy on Santana wow. records. That, yeah. That's sort of like, that's sort of like how uh, Mike, De Mike Landau has worked a ton with, uh, had worked a ton with B.B. King oh, on B.B. Okay. King records. Yeah. Right. And and he had played all the rhythm stuff because BB doesn't play rhythm. Right. And uh, yeah. uh, on a ton of records, I remember back in the day him going to sessions with him and uh, uh, doing that. So just like no one really knows, but <laughs> well, I, I I I defend these guys because once you've been making records for a while, and especially if you become that big you don't really always want to participate in the drudgery of putting parts together. You know, he'd rather be, these are busy people and they would rather be doing something else most of the time. And then just approving or, or, you know, approving the, the work that gets delivered to them. And I totally understand that. Totally. So, you know, going, going back to the Michael Jackson thing. So you said he was there. So what yeah. was he like to work with? What's that now? What was he like to work with? Well, I, I think I mentioned I was prepared for. Um, I hear he's great to work with. Well, if you watch the movie, yeah, uh, this is it. You can yeah. see. I mean, it'll it'll put tears in your eyes how great he was to work with. Yeah. At the same time, he was a very very ruthless businessman. I have, you know, he he. If you crossed him in business, he would he would yes um, yeah. stand up for himself quickly. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, yeah. In that situation, I was prepared for something very awkward, but it was the opposite of that. So I'm in the studio. I've done my part. They bring Michael in. He gets really excited about my pedal board. And we start <laughs> talking about my pedal board. And he starts telling me how much he, – he, he remarks at how much I, Tim, must love my pedal board and the sounds I get from it. And I say, yeah, it's, it's really, really great. He was dressed like a college kid. He was in jeans and a sweater and a collared shirt. And yeah. his complexion looked completely normal. He looked me straight in the eye the whole time. Mm -hmm. It was. It could not have been easier, nicer, more normal. From I, I've had a couple people that have worked with him also in the past, and and even on the the very last thing before he died, uh, on the, on that tour he was going to start to do. And he said what was amazing about him was he would come in. He doesn't play an instrument, but he could hum 
every instrument's part musically and 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 vocally show you all the parts that he wanted the song to be it's true and, and yeah it's true every yeah. little bit of it yeah. every last yeah. little note um of how he envisioned it which which was i found very interesting the original demos for songs like Billie Jean were him doing every instrument on his vocals. Mm -hmm. I never heard those demos, but I heard about them. Oh my and God. So it's great. real. It's, yeah, would that, that be amazing? Yeah, I would, someone, should, someone should bring that out. That would be mm -hmm. amazing to hear. Yeah, I hope there are that. Demos, there are demos of like, um, I actually have it, um, where it's just him vocally doing, uh, like, God, I forget the songs. I have it on my my. Uh, my yeah, uh, uh, although he didn't play an instrument, he knew exactly yeah, yeah. all the instrument parts and what it should be. The composition in his head was there, which and then and then Quincy Jones. Boy. I have a friend, Mike Boddicker, who played on those records, and Quincy Jones uh, and and Jerry Hay did all the string arrangements, which is amazing. Uh, they're all amazing. Uh, horns too, um, but but are, were there horns on Michael Jackson records? Maybe it was just oh. strings. Um, anyway, Mike Boddicker said that Quincy would hire three arrangers. He would pay, you know, hefty fees to three different arrangers. And the three arrangers would write all the parts also that they thought were great. So he would take all Michael's parts and he would take the parts from the brilliant minds of three different arrangers and just pick and choose the elements that he wanted. Oh, yeah. Pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. Craftsman. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, the... Um I have the Off the Wall album, and it's an extended version, which has Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, which is the original demo recording. Oh, cool. And Working Day and Night. And it has both of them are a lot of vocals, which just like him doing the drum beat and the whatever. Yeah, it's pretty there you wild. go then. Yeah. yeah, it's wild. It's wild. Um, yeah, so it was, you know, let's get to Stelios questions because Stelios sent me Stelios calisperides uh and i'm not sure where he lives he lives in london um so he he has a lot of questions for you tim so if you don't mind me asking this is more more gear related and then we'll get back to some of the okay. others yeah um he wants to know what speaker and mic configuration do you use for recording when you're switching between amps i mainly have one speaker cabinet set up and it's a vht four by twelve the it's customized. The bottom half is closed back and the top half is open back. And in that cabinet are vintage thirties. Uh, I have different microphones in front of the cabinet that I'll use at different times. There's a 57 and there's a Royer 122 V, which is their tube version of their 121. It's just got a little more buttery thing to it. It's, it's pretty great. Uh, then I have a Sony C800, which is not the one you see all the time. It's an uh, it's a amp. Yeah, it's it's a microphone that they they released when they uh, released first released their C800G, and it doesn't have the heatsink on it. So it's this black mic, uh, and and that sounds really good too. Doug McKean uses that mic, the Cavallo's engineer, and that grew out of Doug McKean recorded American Idiot by Green Day, and he used C37A Sonys and the C800 is the modern version of the C37A. Anyway, back to the rig. So it's a VHT cabinet, 412. And then my mic pre these days that I like the best is the BAE 1073. Mark Lohman, you know, 
I just I have compared these 1073s to the real ones. They sound identical, except they have more open and better top end. So I, I just I'm I'm in love with these mic pre's. Um, yeah, it's a great great mic pre. I think yeah. uh, didn't uh, Avedis have something to do with that mic pre? Oh, I, um, I don't know, but. But yeah, Vedas was uh, their, is their designer that does most of their stuff, and uh, I think he had something to do with that and why it's. Yeah, I know who he is, but I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. You would know more about that than. Yeah. Now, did I answer the whole question? Was there more to it than that? Um, uh, BHT Vintage Thirties uh, Mike Pre yeah. the the BAE Ten Seventy Three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. And um, various amps. Yeah, yeah, and then he he wanted to know if you have a favorite amp and or a guitar that you use most for most sessions. Well, yeah, the the amp that I use mostly, and I I don't know if this is it, it's it might just be laziness, but it always sounds like the right platform for putting pedals on top of it. It's Fredericks divided by thirteen RSA twenty three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Lyle Workman really likes this amp too. I think it was designed by Frederick and Rusty uh, Anderson, and I have used this with so many people in the room that I have. I've sold probably close to 50 of these for Frederick just from people being in the room with me when I use it. There's nothing, it's very simple, but it kind of sounds like a cross between a Fender and a Vox. And I, I get a basic sound on it and then I push it with pedals. And usually here at home, I use an MXR microamp, but it's the updated version that Bob Bradshaw designed. I have it right in front of me. It's the CAE Boost. So it's a very inexpensive version of the microamp. Mm-hmm. That is what lost internet for a second. Just came back. Yep, that's th- that's what I use when I want to do a power cord. Um, I'm one of those guys at this point who kind of feels like the amp doesn't matter so much uh, as long as you get a a really warm kind of sweet spot distorted sound, and then. You just play with it to get all your other sounds, play with the different guitars, the volumes on the guitar, compressor, delays. Um, I mean, of course, you can't, for high-gain stuff, you have to go to something different. But I tend to, I tend to use an amp as a basic platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you still have uh, your Marshalls and your, and your Absolutely. diesel. Absolutely. And yeah. your yeah. And depending the nailer. On, the, the, nailer, the, the, the nailer, yeah, that was yeah. for years. Yeah. Uh, depending on what your the sound calls for and what you're doing, yeah. right? And and Cliff Jones gets mad at me over at LA uh, Vintage Gear because he wants to sell me a two rock, and I, I I would love to own a two rock. I would love to own a Benson. I would love to own one of those new parks, but I feel like I have the tones. I mean, I I'm a little different. Th- I mean, I I used to I used to search for tones to the point of not sleeping, but now I feel like I get the tones <laughs> I want every time I yeah. Pick up a guitar, and it's just a different philosophy. It's just well, you know, just you, like I've loaned you the Dirty Shirley amp, and you go, it's great, but I have all these amps, and it's fine. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I'm good, and that's, yeah. that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's no problem. And um, um, yeah. I, I always sort of said um, with uh, clients of mine over the years, it's, it's like if you're going to have four or five amps, it was uh, so you need your you need your sort of blackface fendery sort of thing, right? Yeah. 
You need your Vox. Yeah. You need your Plexi Marshall. And then you need one high gain thing. Dave, you're and absolutely if right. If you had four amps, yeah. those would be the four amps to have. Yeah. If you could only have four and you had no other choices, yeah, uh, and, you know, on a desert island, it would be the blackface fender. And I say of some sort, meaning there's a lot of good ones, super reverbs, vibraluxes. Uh, they're very similar, actually. Um, but, but then your Vox, of course, you need your Vox. Yeah. And you need your, the, the Marshall tone, the Plexi Marshall tone to me. That's the, the, the grail kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, higher gain thing, if you need that kind of texture. Absolutely. And, I agree. Uh, and I you, agree. It, you can do it with four amps. If you chose those four amps, and that, that would, you'd have everything you'd ever need. Yeah, for a lifetime. You really, yeah. you really, really could. And, a, and a lot of guitar players want to keep searching and never want to be satisfied. But at a certain point, if you're going to make music, you have to stop searching and, and start you know, just I will throw a high watt in as a mention. Uh, yeah, there too. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of a whole different thing to me. Yeah, would you agree? You have a high watt. Don't I you? would. They 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 distort in a very open and uncompressed way, which is great. Yes. And they also take pedal like a high watt one hundred is the best clean platform for fuzz pedals in existence. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah you're right. They're yeah, just you can't. They're just wide open valve. Speaking and, of uh, fuzz pedals, I want to give you a fuzz pedal. Good. Okay. Great. Cool. <laughs> I think you'll really like our fuzz fiend pedal. I think you'll cool. really find that interesting. Um, so come by and get one. Okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I have one here for you. Um, okay. um, yeah, but you use the nailer for years. Yeah, years I was a bit of an years odd years for and years and years. It's it's the way it distorts is so smooth. It was really a great way for me to play distorted guitar on records. For lack of a better word, I mean it it, it it's like it's this is I hate using this phrase, but it was a radio friendly kind of distorted guitar sound. Mm-hmm. And it's just really smooth and creamy. Yeah, absolutely. And, That's what it does. So, you know, I was kind of an oddball in that I I relied on it. And then the clean channel was great, too. You know, oddly enough, the clean channel can sound very fendery yeah. my SuperDrive 60. So I I was able to to use it as my primary amp for a long time in the 90s. Hey, do you still have my blue Vox? I do. I I love that amp. I, <laughs> I searched for an A-plus Vox, and I would buy them and on eBay and then it would be a C minus box. And then I never found it. Buy another one. And then I buy fifties from, you know, I I bought and bought and bought boxes. That's the only box I ever bought. That was a plus and sounds like it's supposed to. That's good. Yeah. If you ever feel like getting rid of that, I would be interested in buying. (laughs) Well, I will tell you this. If I do, it'll go to you and you only, because that's, that's a rare thing, isn't it? When you can kind of, you know, put your fishing rod into the the yeah, lake and yeah, pull out exactly, something. That, right, pull the pull it back out. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so what well, kind of box me, was it? Let me just put that out there. Uh, if you ever sell that, I want it back. <laughs> no, no, uh, that's that's true. I think I instinctively would have offered it to you anyway. Um, but 
Uh, it's an AC30 to, to answer your question. And okay. did you do the top boost model? No, it was an AC30. Uh, it was a. It was a. I, I do not think it was original blue. You know, I, I think it was someone retolexed it at some point. Um, but it was a blue AC30 uh, copper top amp that had a added on top boost right. by Mark Sampson. Oh, he did it. Oh, he did the added on top boost on it. So, That's why it sounds so good. So. Um, I, it was wow. a really good one. It's a really good one. Still and, is. And I fondly remember that amp. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I kind of kicked myself for selling it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all, we no, all have to get it back stories. one day. You never know. Yeah, you I, might. I, I doubt you it. Might. <laughs> you never know. Tim, you need to put that in your will now. <laughs> no, it's, now you got me thinking. I'll be thinking about it. I'll, I'll, uh, <clears throat> I'll try and make it happen for you. Oh no! You don't have to do that. I mean, like, if you want the amp, keep the amp. But, but, but you can put it in your will. <laughs> that is, that, yeah, okay, I will. For a, for a small fee. Um, oh, I also so, remember a fifty watt Marshall you had that had a replacement output transformer. I don't know if you still have it. Yeah, that's that's long gone. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was a good amp, though. Yeah, it was good. Uh, I've owned, I've owned, I don't know, count probably forty or fifty Marshalls in my life. Yeah, you know, I really have. I, Marshalls what, what, were the what, holy grail to me. What have you dedicated yeah. towards now? What's like? What have you landed on that you're stuck with? The well, I have four Marshalls now. I have two Plexi uh 69s with lay down transformers. Oh great. And and they are great. They're both clean amps. They're both they're, neither one of them is they're both very clean. Um and then I have a pair of JCM 800s that I don't use anymore and uh I use one of them for a speaker stand. <laughs> what? You know, hey. yeah. <laughs> That's but, you know, it's the Marshall the Marshall huh? You what? know what's funny about that, uh, that you say that, is, uh, you know, when uh, back in uh, 1988 or something, you know, around that time frame, you you viewed an, a JSA 800 as a uh, kind of just like a junky piece of junk, kind of, uh, compared to the older amps. Right, exactly. And, uh, and it's funny yeah. that over the years, now that these have become more holy grail amps, but at the time, they were known to have a little bit kind of crappy transformers and not not the greatest amp in the world. Well, um, you're gonna you're gonna remember the story because I researched. I, I I had to do a Renaissance repurchase of a JCM 800 at one point, and I bought the wrong one. And from 1982 side to by 19- side inputs, side by side input, because of cost cutting, yeah, yeah. they basically <laughs> robbed the amp of its mm-hmm. key components for like how long? Four years? Six years? Well, I don't know if they robbed it of the good components. It, it was just like a diff, uh, it was the same circuit. It was just a slightly different take. Little different filtering scheme, a little bit different uh, how they put it together. It was still sort of the same amp, but but it was it was cost. But you know what? Yeah. Okay. Yes, it was cost cutting, but um, you know what? There are still some gems. Wow. In in the two side by side input ones. There, I've heard some where I'm just like going, oh, well, okay, yeah. that one sounds great. Yeah. Okay. I, if Marshalls were always like that anyway, they it was mercurial because you would, 
they always like a lot of them didn't sound that great and then occasionally one would sound amazing and you go why is this so different every time <laughs> right and you had to go through a bunch of them to yeah. find the good one right yeah i mean i remember when i was on the search for a jcm 800 i think i bought a 2204 i think uh-huh. it was the it was the uh the vertical inputs yeah, the right one yeah. yeah and uh so that was the one that i was told to buy and so i went looking and i went to 30th street music in new york I don't know if you guys ever heard of it, but great, great place where they've got vintage, vintage gear. And they had a, a room in the back and they must have had three or four of the different JCM 800s. And I just went plugging into each one and finally landed on the one. I was like, okay, yeah, this one sounds the best one to me. And I bought that one. I ended up selling it. Don't have it anymore. Yeah. But, but I, you know, they were vastly different from what I remember. Yeah. So, well, that's cool. All right. Well, just like it's just like guitars. I mean, there's yeah, there's, there's some guitars that that you pick it up and you're just like, oh yeah, that's the one. It's true. Yeah. You know, I have that problem. I, I said I I didn't show Mark, but I showed Tim earlier before we were on camera, right? So we I have a new guitar of mine. Nice. So it's a new Friedman guitar. I know it's hard to see on this damn camera, but um. It's funny. I'm not really into Sunburst that much, personally. But um, this particular it. guitar uh, just spoke to me. And I was like, yeah, I'm taking that home. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, well that's... One of our new guitars, it was one of our new guitars that came in. And unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, I get to see all of them before they go out. And... Um, Man, seeing all of them before they go out, that's fun. Tempting. Because uh, you're like, oh, that one's, oh, that one's <laughs> really cool. And then I, I literally was doing a photo shoot yesterday, yesterday for some products that we had. And I'm going to put a guitar just propped in, in the photo shoot. So I go to our guitar manager and I go, okay, look, look, give me one of the Sunburst ones that we just came in. Because there was like three of them that we had that came in. And uh, so we opened up the first one. I'm like, no, not that one. I look at another one. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that one. That one looks cool. The sunburst just was a little different, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and he gave it to me. And I go, oh, you might not get this back. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we put in the photo shoot. And I was while, while the photo, photographer was shooting the, the gear, I'm sitting there playing the guitar. I'm like going, Ah, okay, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's happened with all the ones I own uh, personally. I own three of my own guitars now. Only three. I don't, you know, it's not crazy. It's pretty good. Uh, well, it, it soon guitar, will be four. I, yeah. I, I have to own one of every model. I mean, and, uh, it's it's different for you because they are, that's something that you're making. But it, it's, in in a way, it's the same. Because if you find a guitar that you feel that way about it, you have you have two choices. You buy it or you lose it forever. Yes, exactly. And and you have to say to yourself, "Do I want to lose this forever?" Because that's what's going to happen. Yeah, you will never repeat this. Tim, I should have you down to the factory, and you should like go through all yeah. the guitars, find one that I can't live without. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, they're well, made I'm by sure Grover there'll Jackson. Be magi- there'll be a magical one that you'll be like, oh. I, the one you have in your hand. I see. I love sunburst and I love distressed uh, relic guitars. So 
I know you, you don't, don't, don't sell you don't, that you one. Don't wanna, people, people get me get crazy about the distressed relic thing. And um, here's how I feel about that. Uh, I feel one, you don't have to worry about the guitar anymore. I like that. I do too. Two, what I like about it, and uh, people will argue this to no end, is that I have found over the years that less finish, the more stuff off the guitar, Absolutely. the better it sounds. That's a good point. I never really thought of it that way. That's and, uh, yeah. and, and even even on guitars I've owned over the years, and I said this in a video and people were giving me shit for it. Over the years, even taking finishes off the back of a neck, I don't really like a sticky finish, you know. I, I would rather have it be satin and, and nice and smooth, you know, on the back of the neck. Exactly. And um, taking a finish off the back of a neck uh, changes the tone of the guitar. Um, and people are like, ah, bullshit. Mm. Okay, it's hard to prove, but mm, I don't, I, I just really believe that, you know, just like I, I have found over the years. That the kind of finishes you use is use on guitars, even cabinets, makes a difference. Like if you, absolutely, if you have a guitar Everything. cabinet that has no Tolex on it, it sounds different than a it's going to resonate different with absolutely. Think yeah. about it. Just yeah. put glue and vinyl on top of a, a resonating uh, uh, a speaker cabinet. Yeah, what's going to happen? Yeah. Well, it's going to sound different than a wood resonating cabinet. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's kind of the beauty of it. That's why everything turns out a little bit different. And well, you had years ago, you had Tom Anderson. Like I, I remember still have those guitars. You still have that guitar, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing is they sounded yeah. great, but at, at that time, aesthetically, everybody was buying the fancy, you know, finish wood finishes. And I just didn't yeah. want to go that direction, but, but it's true. The lighter, the finish, I never really thought about that, though. The, one of the, the advantages of having a relic guitar is it's going to have less finish on it. It's going to have some open spots. It's yeah. Gotta help. Yeah. Got to help. Yeah. And also, it feels, it, to me, it feels very worn in. It feels like it's been played for a long time. And, okay, some people will say, well, you should just play it for the whole and wear it in. But It'll take you 10 years, maybe. Hey, if you want it to feel that way right away, what you know? Yeah. What you're not going to wait ten years for this, right? Yeah, no, I loved relic instruments. I love them. I have no. I don't and think you twice never about have it. To worry about them, ever. You just you can set it on down on top of anything, yeah. amp yeah. on top of an amp or something, yeah. and just walk away. And yeah, you don't have to worry. And um, oh, I'm going to scratch it. Well, oh, yeah. I heard Tom but Anderson. Hey, is for everyone out there, we do make instruments that are not aged, so. If if you if you prefer it to be perfect, we can do that. Good. I need to see I need to see all your guitars. It's been a while. I saw I saw them at Nam. Uh, you know, just for a second. But I, I, yeah, I want to want to come. If see you want to come down to the if you want to come down to the factory one day, you could I do. do that. If you, that would be fun. Yeah, if you want to see Pete the and I, thing. Pete and I can come down or something. Sure. Yeah. That'd great. That'd be fine. Yeah. You could sit there and look at all the guitars if you want. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> you can't beat that I'd like your input on some of them if you want absolutely I have very specific ideas at this point I yeah. really do that's fine and you know the thing is I could you know I could be talking more right now but I, I want to hang back and, and let you guys 
Well, I'm sure there's stuff. some questions now, so we probably yeah, should whatever questions. whatever you whatever we've you ignored want. everyone for an hour and a half. And okay. uh, let me get to one more question that Stelios had. Um, he wanted to know about you using modelers and uh, for recording or for live. Uh, do you happen to use them? What do you use, and what are your thoughts about them? Uh, I like the technology, and I've experimented with it. I still I use real amps 100 percent of the time. Um, the Kemper, uh, I take this Kemper on sessions now when I go work for like a television composer, uh, because it sounds so good. I can just plug it in direct and they just, they just love the fact that we don't have to set up anything. And then I can get, I use, I use my pedal board for sounds. I'll set it to my, to one of my favorite Fendery, you know, just slightly distorted sounds and I'll use pedals for it. I can still hear the the inherent issues with the top end uh, and I can still hear the artificial nature of it. Um, I did a Josh Groban record a few years ago and I had just bought the Axe Effects and I used it for everything. It was Cavallo again producing it and he finally said, okay, you got to get rid of that thing. And we, I, used it for, I, had, I had used it for a couple of weeks and done a ton of recording with it that all sounded great. But he, Cavallo's a great guitar player, too, and he's an amp purist. He owns 30 or 40 amps and 100 guitars and very opinionated about gear. Um, and he said, you know, I just don't hear the air in it. And see, I love all of these devices, but they're a different animal. And when I'm at home, none of these devices equal the sound of a real amp. None of them do. And it particularly has to do with this thing that happens in the top end that's kind of pixelated and granulated and mm, not yeah. sweet. Um, the thing that works with these amps is, and so we get into a cultural sociological thing, the way people hear music now, starting with the MP3 and even worse on YouTube, my, one of my theories about why rock is not popular is that distorted guitars suffer the most when you downgrade the bit rate and you you have music that is delivered to the consumer at a you know reduced rate of fidelity. So on YouTube, where most people listen to music, a distorted guitar doesn't sound as good as it does on my Pro Tools rig or on a vinyl record. Distorted guitar in particular gets mangled as it gets reduced in quality as it goes to the end user and the consumer. So... I've had like a guy like Matt Serletic, who's a really great producer. We've had talks about this. The reason the Kemper sounds modern in people's minds is because it sounds artificial because that's what people are used to hearing on YouTube. And it's not a desirable thing. It's a, it's a, uh, the top end is just, what's the word? It sounds like. Kleenex or sandpaper. Grainy. 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 Thank you. Yeah, grainy. Like, there you go. Grainy. Yeah. Thank you. Like digital grainy. Mm -hmm. And I'm also very aware of the fact that if you are a person making amplifiers at great expense and selling them for a small profit, why should they put Friedman, why should they be allowed to put Fried, your name in there? Well, you know, it's, it's a, can. it's a fine line, you know, it's, it's, uh, 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 the only, the only company that can is, uh, well, UA because they have uh, official license Friedman profiles, yay. Uh, which, which do sound great. 
um, uh, that we worked with BrainWorks on. Um, and I don't think, I don't know if you've tried, have you ever tried any of those? Do you, do you have? UA, UA is about, they're about to send me the OX system, but the I, the yeah, I tried, uh, Harris Bernard sent me the previous thing and I honestly could not get, I couldn't get it past the starting gate because of the sound of, and I'm saying this because I, I'm an amp guy. I, I do a hundred percent of my work with real amplifiers and I kept trying to, you know, I look at the image of the cool fender amp and the microphone. On yeah, my but computer. did you try ours? I heard that yours was really good, but I was so disenchanted. You haven't tried. I mean, it, so. I, I just, I, I sent it yeah. back to them and I thought he'd never speak to me again, but we're on good terms. He's going to send, you know, the, the new thing's great. Uh, the ox is cool. Yeah, ox yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was um, one, of the, one of the really cool things that came out of Summer Dam um, and then yeah. this Winter Dam. But I'm 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 100% amps, 100% real amps. Uh, but taking this to a composer's house and having them go crazy over this device that they have—it's uh, hard to believe. But a lot of guys I work with, you know, it's it's still new to them. So right, anyway. that's cool. Yeah, it's it's a. You know, as an app designer, it's a little bit depressing. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you work hard for years to design your amplifiers and your sound or, or the sound you've created. And then everyone just buys an amp and creates a Kemper profile and returns the amp how about that <laughs> yeah i have heard of that but think, return the amp and, and 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 or um that's just wrong. you know like recently recently line six came out with our our b100 uh uh well they didn't use b100 but they called it something else but uh, uh the profile and it, it sounds good it sounds good um but where does that, in the end, in in the long run, where does this leave us? You know, it's, it, it, uh, I mean, it's, like when it, when are when the amp guys are gone, let's say, what's what is there left to model? I mean, you can model old amps, and you can model used things, and you can model all this, but there's no one designing new things anymore. It's done. Uh, you know, it's it's it, as bad as it is for you. We already went through that in the music business. Yeah. Of course. When, when we were talking about great ideas earlier in, in the uh, show, <laughs> I heard an interview with, with, with one guy who was really smart about this. He said, it, songs were a lot better when there was a potential pot of gold on the other side of the E chord. Now when you write that song, <laughs> when you write that song, you know there's no pot of gold on the other side of it. When there was, you had a whole different energy writing that song. Those of us in the music business, we had to adapt. You know, it happened in stages, but the value of music, you know, was reduced. And the the answer is actually in the way you in the way you're living your life. You have adapted, and we have adapted. <laughs> I, I have adapted. I, I you know, I have a uh, my whole social media thing and my master class that I is monetized was me looking at the next 20 years and going, okay, things are changing. Mm. How do I want this to play out for me? Sure. As a studio musician, 
you're going to age out anyway. I mean, there's a yeah. point where this guy who looks like this, they want a guy who looks 25 to show up and have that energy and whatever. So it happens anyway. And then you become a different animal and you become, you still work, but you got to share it with young guys coming up. But that would have happened anyway. But for me, the, the, the actual change in the music business where recorded music was not something that there were budgets for anymore in, in mm -hmm. the same way. I had to make a decision to adapt and change. I don't think amp makers are going to go away. You would know more about that than I do because you know the exact numbers of what you spend and what you earn and what's, what's being earned. Ourselves as a company are, are doing well. Um, I can't say that for some of my friends. Right. Uh, so, um, but that's that's the new world, and that's uh, it's the same yeah. way for everybody now. I can, you have it. It's very you have to have an ingenuity and a you really have to adapt quickly, and you have to readapt all the time. Like with YouTube now, I have to actually keep refocusing the way I make YouTube videos just to keep my audience because the algorithm changes and it gets more yeah uh, intense. You you really can't. Not only do you have to change what you're doing, but you have to constantly change what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To stay on track. And that's what you're doing. <laughs> and the people around you are smart, and you're changing and adapting. And unless you do that, you, you'd say to yourself, oh, well, I, I changed everything two years ago. Well, then you're obsolete <laughs> because yeah. it keeps changing. And yeah, 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 right? I mean, I oh, talked. To, I talked to Tom Anderson at the show. He had the biggest year sales wise he's ever had. Oh, that's great. And I talked to Paul Reed Smith. We have a breakfast uh, every every now and we get together for breakfast once, and he's doing amazingly well. I mean, he almost lost his business at a certain point during the downturn, and but he's and and his footprint at Nam is much smaller. He's he's got a leaner, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. much leaner operation there, but he's he's back ordered on his yeah. on his product so it, it's yeah i mean i'm not complaining either because i mean we're doing quite well and we've 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 worked hard though to and you have that. yeah and you have a team and, and, and we and, keep trying to make new products that everyone wants you know yeah. and, and that's that's the thing and in in a diversified categories exactly it's yeah. not just one yeah. category yeah so uh um because I've been around as long as I have and done as much as I have, uh, we can branch out in different categories and stuff. And maybe that's not accepted at first, but then after a while it's like, oh yeah, those are great. <laughs> when we first started doing guitars, it was like, why is he doing guitars? Well, I had a lot to do with, you know, Don Grosh guitars when they were, were were around. I had a lot to do, you know, I was around high end, you know, guitars from Tom Anderson days, and 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 around all these kind of uh, guitars, and and people just didn't know the input I had on some things um, back back a long time ago. And well, just, it's like, it's you something know. you you already knew how to do, and you. You have a team. You have a great yeah. team. I know your team, and yeah. that's the other thing. You can't stay small in this day and age. You have to, you know, you can't do everything yourself, and you can't stay small. 
you can. No, it's impossible. It's impossible to stay small because what what happens with the small builders um, is they die because there's yeah. lack of capital or there's yeah. lack of uh, funding. Uh, even if they have great ideas or or their products are fantastic, uh, the the biggest fault of any small business is a lack of capital. And um, capital and 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 people to uh, uh, you know people to uh, actually uh, make the product or drive the product or 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 produce the product. Yeah, yeah when you were small. That, yeah, I have I have I have one full time employee and four part time employees on my web business. And the full-time employee is edits film. He just edits film forty hours a week, mostly. Yeah. And then I, I actually need more editing. You know, I'm putting together more editing. It's hard to find. And 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 so there's a spend on the business that is substantial, and it's every month. It's just it's just a responsibility that you have to, if you want to do this and keep going, you have to do stuff like that. You have to yeah. look at everything. Being a musician now, you you have to be an entrepreneur, and. And that's what we're doing. Uh, you know, uh, um, it makes me happy to adapt, but it's it's really scary that you your adaptations have to be replaced by new adaptations very frequently. Yeah, it well, never yeah, ends. Well, you know, it, it never ends. Never ends, man. Right? Yeah. yeah that's you got to work hard to get what you want. Yeah. 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 Hey, let's go to uh, some of the chat. We got a question here from Blackie Dh. Um, and Tim, I don't know if uh, you were around for this, but he says, uh, asked him about the Sunset Strip in the 80s, probably some good stories. Were you around for that? You mentioned was. Van Halen before. Yeah, when I, I came here on vacation when I was 17, and we, it was such a classic story because we, we were walking down Sunset Boulevard looking for music. You come to L.A., I want to hear some good music, and of course you're not going to hear anything good usually. Mm -hmm. I walked past this doorway, and I heard this guitar and I just started smiling and we just walked in whatever I'm going into this place where I hear this guitar and it was Van Halen two years before their record deal. I think let's yeah, no two years before their record came out. They had just done some demos with Gene Simmons, which are, is a famous thing, but they were basically a top 40 band. They did a couple of originals. Eddie was hiding all of his tapping which was kind of a pleasure because to see him just do traditional guitar playing for a whole night was pretty great. And to see him play LaGrange and Led Zeppelin songs and all this other stuff was pretty great. It was all covers. David, David Lee Roth um, emceed a dance contest in the middle of the set. <laughs> Eddie and Alex got into a fist fight at the end of <laughs> the show on the stage in front of us. And then we went up and talked to Michael Anthony. It was really nice and said they had just done these demos and, or they were going to New York to do the demos with Gene Simmons or whatever, which was the precursor to the, them getting the record deal. But mm -hmm. I really, I was overjoyed. Uh, you know, uh, it, it was just, and his tone, he had the old Marshall from the church and he had the Explorer that had been cut up. Right. And, mm -hmm. and whatever that thing was a shark. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it was, yeah. it was amazing. But so then I moved to LA, I think four years later. Um, and it, LA was on fire. I mean, sun, there was the Starwood and then all the clubs on the sunset strip. And when I first moved here, I didn't want to spend money. So I would literally go and stand outside these places and listen to the music. It was mm -hmm. like, this is how I'm going to 
you know, learn to do Figure this out, is yeah, yeah. I'm going to listen, you know, because I, I didn't want to pay the cover charge, you know, five times a night or whatever. Yeah. And I didn't have any money. So, um, but the thing for me was I was never the guy, I never had the image to be in one of the, the, the bands. You know, my roommate was playing with Greg Jafria and Angel and I had other friends who were in big rock bands and stuff. But I was more, luckily New Wave was a big force too. And I was more on that side of things. The stories, you know, there, there were, uh, I, I remember in the 80s, Rick, we played at the Universal Amphitheater for five nights in a row. And Rick got us each our own chauffeured limousines each night. And I was famous because I kept my limousine waiting out in front of, I was, I ended up at the keyboard player in Ario Speedwagon's house all night with a bunch of people. <laughs> and I kept my driver in my limousine waiting until dawn, which was very <laughs> expensive bill for Rick to pay. <laughs> You're like, okay, well, that. yeah, I got a car. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. there were there 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 were a lot of fun things. I mean, the 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 there I have pictures in my photo album of a sea of girls carrying us. Well, the, the like Rick to the bus Rainfield part alone had to be some. Yeah, you did uh, how many tours? Well, I did four tours with him. And four tours. So, yeah, so I, that I, alone has to be some epic stories. Yeah, there were there were great things that happened for other people. I always made friends <laughs> with women. So <laughs> when you make friends with women, you that's all that happens. So uh, I, I wasn't really a, a player, but there were guys who really had stuff going on every single day in every city. You know, they, it was it was pretty amazing. You know. Yeah. That was certain crew, certain crew with 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 Rick yeah. at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, like crazy. It's fun, fun to fun, fun to watch. So, speaking of Rick, uh, Joe Millo had a question. He says, um, yeah, "Thanks for bringing Tim on." Sure, he said, "Thanks for bringing Tim on the show. It would be great to know which one or two songs from your Rick Springfield days contain your favorite guitar work, and why you feel that way." I think uh, the entire record, Living in Oz, um, there's, se I think, seven guitar solos on that record. And they, they were, I was intensely proud of each one. We crafted them together. We got great tones. Uh, I, funnily enough, Rick just released a new record. And on his new record, I played more lead guitar on his new record than any record I've ever done with Rick. Hmm. Um, and... Um, something it's the record something about a snake or something or what I forget what it's called but if you get his brand new record you can listen to it on Spotify uh, I play more lead guitar on that than even on Living in Oz but to answer your question specifically it's the Living in Oz record every song those guitar solos and even some of the rhythm guitars were my best moments with him that's great okay um, now I know we had um some other questions here and um let's see oh did you use any uh load boxes i know you mentioned you're getting the ox are there any uh, load boxes or irs that you particularly like i haven't done that yet i mean i really have to go back to the the concept that 
because I do most of my work now in this studio, and uh, like I just I did a record with Ann Wilson from Heart last week. We went down yeah, to the village. Yeah, and go? it was it was the original producer Mike Flicker and her band. Her her guitar player is great. Loved him. Um, I used amps for that. I use amps at home. I haven't entered that world yet. Um, God, that's not. He's got a nice Fender amp sitting there. Two nice Fender amps. I wonder who they belong to. Uh, so, so no, oh, not yeah. yet. He does. Yeah, let's yeah. look at that. Yeah. He's got a super, you know, Vibra Lux, it looks like. Yeah. So, for me, it's still real amps all the way. I gotcha. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm happy to... To me, the Kemper is like... I used to get one really good sound out of the pod. And it was the kind of their matchless sound. And the Kemper is... You know, just an amazing thing to carry into somebody else's, you know, session for a, a quick thing. Right, right, right. Um, so John Sims has a question. Any Patty Smith stories? You're talking about Patty Smythe. Oh, did he, Patty Smythe, okay. Yeah, she was the singer in Scandal, and I did a yeah, great yeah. record with her. But no, that's just professional musicians just uh, making music. <laughs> I hate to disappoint you, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Julian CH uh, question for Tim. What's your favorite pedal for high gain? You know, I like the the Dunlop EVH pedal. Um, I carry that around with me. It's it's it, I really like it. It's a good pedal. Uh, I have yeah. to get you one of mine. You're right. I would probably <laughs> like it better. Just, you know, you know what happens. It's just we're all so busy. I mean, I. I still do sessions almost every day. And then I have this, I'm making videos for YouTube and Instagram and then for my website. You know, I, we're all so busy that it's like, we don't have time anymore to go check stuff out. I mean, you live, I mean, you work, your office, yeah. you and Pete are, you're about 10 miles away from me. Yeah. You can't get over here. <laughs> it's, it's like modern it's like life. What? It's what is that? Like three hours away? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's, well, it's actually, about yeah, a half hour. Yeah, you know, a couple miles away. Yeah, it could be t three hours. Yeah, yeah. No, it's about a half hour. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. generally about a half hour. Gotcha. Hey Tim, I'm going to send you over a bunch of pedals. How's that? Okay. All right. See, that's that's why my password that was my trick. Show up. Yeah, good. You can just check them out. Okay. Yeah, because the um, the BEOD has a special. Definitely, it's it's it sounds. It's different than the uh, the EVH fifty one fifty pedal, but they they both have you know similar flavors of high gain. Sort of has a more high gain Marshall sort of character to it than yeah. the EVH awesome. pedal does. I, I, yeah, I want it. I definitely want it. Yeah, I've got them both. They're, they're both really good flavors. Um, Matt Harrison has a question for Tim. Have you ever worked with Butch Vig? I have. Um, it was for a new artist, a very pretty young woman, and her name was Jessie. I can't think of her last name. But what? Uh, a, really a perfect gentleman. Uh, I'm trying to think. You know, at the time I worked with him, Garbage was really a big band, and – Really a, really a thoughtful, nice guy. I don't know if there's anything 
you know, I really wish I had worked with him again after that, but Butch is a great he, guy. Yeah, I mean, he went on after that to do. To, I mean, didn't he kind of just work with the Foo Fighters a ton after that? He, yeah, he produced yeah. a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did that uh, that Wasted Light album with the Foo Fighters. Yeah. You know that. And I mean, he's one of those producers that usually, I mean, he's a guy, and there's several of these guys out there. They actually never really needed studio guitar players because they always were able to pull together guitarists from the band situations that were great. You know, um, there were other producers that would hire studio musicians 100% of the time, but he would generally pull his musicians from bands, you know, like for him, rather than hiring a studio musician, he would get, you know, somebody like some famous guitar player to do him a favor, you know, whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So what did you do with Butch Fig? Just out of curiosity. No, it was, it was, I, I can, I can't think of her last name. It was her name. Oh, was it was with the, with, with, with that girl. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. Um, what was, uh, so Timothy Pierce has a question for Tim Pierce. <laughs> nice to meet you, Timothy. Finally, there we go. Um, what was your What was your hardest session? Or uh, Shakira. Shakira. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. If you talk to musicians and producers and engineers and even Everyone administrative, yeah, administrative travel agents, everybody. It really? was. It, 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 it was. I did her first. English speaking record, which I, I, it may still be her biggest selling record. Right. Called Laundry Service. And she flew me and, and Paul Bushnell and Abe Jr. to Miami. And oh, I, Abe I met Jr. Lester Mendez there. Which, so I, you know, I, I ended up being on a Santana record after that because of Lester Mendez. So something good came out of it. But I sat there with her for 10 days and she never really liked anything I did. I don't. Or maybe she did. I don't know. I, I, I and the hours were brutal because we would get there at eleven and we work with the songwriters. And she'd show up in the afternoon and we'd work from like eleven a.m. to four a.m. or something. You know? Oh Jesus, oh, God! And uh, it, it was, it was at the at. I got to a point where I was doing the songs and leaving my mistakes because I was sure from her demeanor that she was going to replace everything I did. <laughs> and you know what happened? She got used to her rough mixes and she kept everything I did. <laughs> everything. Even the mistakes. Yeah. And they got fixed or buried or whatever. I, I don't know. Okay. I just, you know, the kind of thing I was just like, well, I, I'd rather do that over, but I'm not going to, because let's just get through this. I'll tell you this. It was so bad that, if it had been L.A., I would have walked up to her on the second day and I would have said, you have hired the wrong guitar player. Let's 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 find you the Part right ways. guy. Get him in here. <laughs> and I would have had, you know, I would have had her get Rusty or somebody in there. Right. But she's the one who's famous. I mean, you know, Matt Chamberlain just drove away from a session of hers in in Vancouver. You, you'll if you talk to musicians, it's. It, yeah, it's it's really common. 
I mean, Pat Leonard went to work with her, and I think she made him wait for a day. And then Glenn Ballard went to work with her, and he got so nervous that he just he couldn't play his keyboard. I mean, it's it's, (laughs) it's it's you know, it's just it's it's tough. And I'm sure she she will never listen to this. Will never get no, yeah, never get her different world. (laughs) Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I don't think Shakira. This isn't the demographic for Shakira. Well, it's like it's like it's like uh, talking to people who used to work for Prince, you know. Um, there's been a long uh, history of Prince uh, tech firings. Um, you're gonna get fired from if you were, go to work for Prince, you will be fired. You will be fired. <laughs> you will be fired eventually. I'll, I'll be right back, guys. Um, you know, eventually you will be fired, and uh, and God knows why. <laughs> Yeah, some of is, yeah, yeah, some of these people are very, very tough, and it's it's about. I always found it's fifty fifty. I mean, you some artists are just really, really not nice, and then others are so nice you can hardly believe it. You know. Well, you worked really, with Don Henley, right? I did. Yeah. And how was that? Well, that's that's closer to home because th- th- there's still. I mean, we all there's still work. Well, the thing is, I know people who work with him and who have worked with him. And so I would be a little more diplomatic. But, yeah, I don't know that I would talk out of school. Let me just see if I can think. That's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's it's, it's true. A lot lot of people in the past have not gotten along with Don very well. Let, let's well, just... and, and it, it's true. Um, oh, here, okay, here's a good story that'll tell you the culture of, <laughs> this is great, this will, will, will tell it like it is without directing it totally at him. In the year 2000, I did a tour with Linda Ronstadt, and the culmination of that tour was the giant concert at Staples Center I don't know if you remember the year 2000, but that's when everything was supposed to break because it was. The yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. It, was yeah. Like it was yesterday, actually. But <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> Y2K. So, so I was part of this huge L.A. gig at the Staples Center, New Year's Eve, the year 2000. OK. And we opened with Linda Ronstadt. Then it was Jackson Brown. And then it was the Eagles. OK. Mm-hmm. And. A huge gig, you know, great ground, you know, everybody. Every band had the greatest gig of their lives that night and got paid the most because it was the ultimate, you know, it was the year 2000. Right. Yeah. And to 2000. Yep. my stage pass had a yellow dot on it. And I, the security was so intense that it was a photo ID'd stage pass. I went to a photo booth and my picture was on my stage pass. Right. The Eagles had set it up so that my stage pass in the opening act expired at the beginning of their show. So that means I was not allowed in the building. Well, I did not, you know, I didn't have tickets. I couldn't, there were no tickets, you know, available. I couldn't buy tickets. I had to tell an LAPD guy a story to get back in the dressing room (laughs) and get my guitar so that I could leave. Wow. So, I mean, so without naming names, let's think about what's not nice. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a friend who was on the Staples Center staff named 
Dave Cavelli, who had been on the road with me in Rick Springfield. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of, he ran, he ran the, the team that, that kept that place open. And he gave us passes to sit on the side of the stage and watch some of the Eagles show. And I remember them looking at us like, what the, what the heck are they doing there? You can't throw them out because they have the, the new passes. But I mean, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, awful. Yeah. I mean, there are other stories. Oh, there um, is. <laughs> I remember James Harrow went to audition for him. You know James, right? You know I know James. James yeah. yeah. I and James, yeah. J- James, you know, he learned the, the material. And Don Henley was so mad at him for not learning the material to his satisfaction, he wrote him a letter. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> and this is a guitar player at an audition that he didn't choose. Just, you know, why would you take oh. the time <laughs> uh, to write a letter even yeah, after you didn't? He, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, there, I, I'll stop there. He, it's too he close has, to home. He yeah. has, uh, yeah. Yeah. Too close to home. <laughs> my, my daughter worked with a production manager that was doing Henley for a while. And, um, yeah. <laughs> so you have this group, you have this group of people that's nicer than you. You can you can't believe how nice they are, and then you have the it's like fifty fifty. It's yeah. Well, then you got the the the, the you know well you know yeah. how do I want to say this? Um, there is a there is the uh, old quintessential rock star uh, persona that uh, doesn't. Uh, so much exist anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but an old school guy. Uh, yeah. Well, it's right or wrong or indifferent. It's, um, it's there still, you know, and uh, grew up in a different time, different place, different, uh, different set of rules. Yeah. It's a big part you of know? it. And uh, there's a different set of rules now, be that good or bad. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but oh, Pete's in, Pete Thorne's in the uh, chat. Oh, great. Pete Thorne, why aren't you here? <laughs> and uh, he says uh, Don was good to him. He said, There you uh, go. See? So he said different yeah. strokes. Yeah. You know? Um, and then we he weren't he, saying Don wasn't good to us either. So, no, no, you know, it, it, it happened. <laughs> um, he said, Tim, tell the story about the limo driver picking you up for the Springfield gig and going way oh. off track. Oh, this is so great. It was not Springfield. It was Corey Hart. Do you remember Corey Hart? Oh, sunglasses. Yeah. yeah. I wear my sunglasses at night. So the guy yeah. from his record company calls me to go play a gig in New York with Corey. And I learned the songs, relearned the songs, because I had played on a couple of them. And I go to New York the day early, and it's at the World's Fairgrounds. And I check into the hotel, and I talk to the radio people. And the next morning, I wake up, and I'm watching vans all day long shuttle people to the gig, which is right across the street. But it's a big bend. It's a parkland. You know, you can't see it. You see trees. I'm literally right across the highway from the World's Fair. And I think, well, I'll just wait for my particular ride, which is at 3 o'clock. There are vans shuttling people all day. And I'm thinking, maybe I should take an early van and just get over there early. Should have done it. 
So I go down and wait in the lobby at three and I wait there for 40 minutes and I see this guy from East India on the phone frantically calling on the house phone. And I'm thinking, and then I see a limo parked out there and I wonder if that's my guy. I've waited 40 minutes in the lobby. It's now 3.40. The gig is, I think, at 5.30 or 6. It's an early gig, you know, at a big festival. Yeah. And I go to this guy and I say, are you here for Tim Pierce? And he says, yes, in very, very broken English. I said, well, we got to go, man. It's, it's, I've been waiting here. So I get in the back of this limousine. And he proceeds to drive us... I don't know, 80 miles away. <laughs> wow. he, he had been in the country for a few weeks and there was a, a cell number to backstage. And this was before I didn't have a cell phone. There was a cell phone in the back of the car that I used and couldn't get through. And I kept thinking, and he kept leading me to believe that we were going to get to the gig. We never made it to the gig. Oh, man. Oh. So Corey Hart played without you. He played without me. And the, the problem was I kept thinking this guy, and he kept convincing me that we were almost there. <laughs> I eventually just had him have him drive me back to the airport because I had a flight out later that night. It was – I mean, it was – I mean, poor Corey. I don't know what he did. I don't, did you know, it's like, I think he, I think, I think everybody kind of thought it was my fault, including my wife. She was like, how could you have screwed this up? And uh, the record company guy, he didn't pay me because I think he thought it was my fault. I mean, how stupid would you have to be as a musician not to get across the street? I mean, <laughs> 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 well, there's that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I think Corey, what he did is he probably sat down at his keyboard and because he knows, you know, he can play the. He probably just did it at his keyboard and was fine. Wow, and you never talked to him after that? Oh no, I did talk to him, but it was kind oh. of awkward. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> oh wow! Hey, sorry, but you know, why God picked me up and he took me eighty miles away. Yeah, it was, and I didn't know New York well enough to, you know, and I, the thing is, I kept thinking we were about to make it. Uh, <laughs> well, that's so funny. Um, so I'm going to go back into the chat. Um, so I haven't Car- looked at any of the chat. I'm sorry, everyone. Cars and depth. Dave, when are you going back to, to Detroit? Uh, Detroit, uh, I'm coming back to Detroit in, um, that would be May, May 19th for the show that we're going to put on in Detroit. Is that happening? With, with, that's happening May 19th, uh, with, uh, Seduce and Cairo Knife Fight and, uh, uh, one other band yet to be named. Mm. Yes. All right. I'll be there. Um, Okay. Let's see. We got a question. Uh, what strings and guitar pick uh, do you use for um, for standard tunings, Tim? I switched over to Elixirs a long time ago. 
because mm. my hands produce so much acid that I would ruin a set of acoustic guitar strings, for instance, within 45 minutes. Um, so elixirs were a life-changing thing for me. Uh, I, I really like that I use nanowebs either 10 through 46 or 9 through 42. And um, they, I used to hire a guy about eight or 10 hours a month to change guitars. And now uh, that, you know, it's like eight or 10 hours every six months. You know, I, I generally don't change my own strings. I, I hire people, whoever's around to, you know, change them for me. And it's very rare now that strings last forever. Mm-hmm. And what was the other question? Picks? Yeah. I use a soft nylon um, Jim Dunlop for acoustic a lot because it's very very uh, thin pick yeah yeah the thin pick the gray one it's 60 mm-hmm. i think i have one right here let's look at it um you pull it off yeah thin picks on acoustic are amazing yeah and it's it's uh soft and yeah dunlop nylon 73 and then i'll use medium picks for like rhythm stuff and then for soloing i love using this pointed dunlop it's got a sharp point to it uh and it's heavy it's extra like a heavy. Jazz pick kind of thing. Oh, no, it's big actually, but I'm gonna oh. find one. Everything ends up on the floor here. Uh, well, that's the normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, pens, everything. Where is it? Oh, it's on the floor. Cord. Yep, everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't well, find it. You know, hey. It's all right. That's fine. That's it, though. I mean, it's like three families of picks. Okay. Thin, medium, and heavy with a point. Yeah, and the heavy one has a point. It makes me feel like Ingve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a question here. And I know you, you. someone mentioned about your master classes, um, and then someone asked about uh, Joe Miller wants to know about your – do you give private lessons? So. Uh, no, I, I don't give private lessons. The, the way it works is you can join the master class either monthly or yearly, and there's a 14-day free trial. So – I do that to protect people. Uh, they put down their credit card and they try it for 14 days. And if they don't like it, they just leave. Um, because it's not for everybody. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, I've got like 70 hours of content and about 800 videos. It keeps growing all the time. A year from now, it might have twice that. Um, mm-hmm. and, but it's, every episode is a new theme. And so it's not structured. It, it kind of goes all over the place. One thing might be blues. One thing might be the modes. One thing might be Josh Smith showing how he plays guitar. It's it's completely random each time. There are episodes that, uh, you know, just it's like a magazine. It's something different every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what was the other question? Uh, let's see. Um, oh, well, do you give private lessons? Oh, and yeah, right. Just, just tell yeah. us about the uh, the master class as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the the master class is you know it, it's I make it easy for people to answer questions about it because they can literally join for free for two weeks. So that's what I'd recommend if you want to you know try it out. But it's really sounds, parts, gear. I mean the the my spiel in the promotional video kind of says what it is. It's I try and just cover everything. Sessions, you know, uh, it, it's it's completely you know all over the the whole world of guitar playing and being a professional guitar player in LA for, you know, as long as I have, um, the private lesson thing, 
the way I like to say it is this. I have been a, I've provided a client service for 35 years. So I have, I've worked for people, uh, producers, artists, songwriters, engineers, composers for 35 years. Um, and I already, I still do that. So that's my client service job. It's, it's a client <coughs> paying me to provide a service. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to replace it with another client service job. Uh, and, and I'm replacing it with something that's actually a business with employees that is a product that I sell to people. And so that's, that's the main reason I don't give lessons is because if I have an hour to spend with somebody, that goes to one of my session clients. Mm-hmm. And if, if I have another hour to spend, it goes to my business. And then if I have another hour to spend, it goes to my marriage and my family. Lastly, if I have another hour, it goes to exercise. So private lessons, there's really nothing. I really couldn't charge enough to sit down and do it, unfortunately, because um, I just have all these other priorities. Uh, and I know one of my favorite guys on YouTube is a guy named Paul Davids. He just released a video that's about him quitting his private teaching business. It's it's something that you, that you can do if you want, but I I would rather I would rather reach the whole world with video content than mm-hmm. sit with one person. So um, I apologize. I wish I could. You know, I wish I, I wish I could spend the time. No, that's great. You, you know, you have, have the master. Cl- <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, one of the other questions, um, a while back we had, um, Chris Van Tassel from J rocket audio yeah. on with Sean Tubbs. And, um, I I'm sure we briefly touched upon your pedal with them, but if you want to just tell us a little bit about your Tim Pierce overdrive pedal with them, right? Yeah, it's it's really two pedals, and the the power section they emulated the power section of a nailer, and they did it really really well. And then the other side of the pedal, you know, has tone controls, and it's a sweet sounding overdrive. I have to say that they are mostly responsible for it. Um, they approached me, and they created it, and I did a little bit of critique on it, and then it was done, and they released it. So I really have to say it's mostly them. I am very grateful for the fact that they did the logo with the glasses. And the other thing I'm grateful for is it was very popular and it still is. It's the only, it's one of three, only three big pedals that they're keeping in their line. They've sold many, many hundreds of them. And I, I just, I'm really grateful that they made something that sounded so good. Um, but it really didn't have a lot to do with me. I think they, they maybe understood. I still, I talked to Chris, you know, last week for a long time. I think they just understood what my tone was and my aesthetic and they created it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it was a real success. I mean, hun- they've sold hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Yeah. It's a great pedal. Sounds great. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know what the actual number is. I should ask him. No, that's great. No, that's really good. Yeah, and, and you know, like if you asked John Shanks that question, he would give you, well, you know, I wanted to have my 56 Les Paul sounding like this through my, you know, I, I don't, I honestly, I don't think in technical terms about sound, uh, much less than other guitar players. I'm trying to be better at that. But to me, I, I just, I'm more experienced sound, and then I just 
kind of forget how I got it. And, you know, yeah. that's something I'm working on. You know, give me a few more years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I watched uh, your video about um, the smoke on the water, the breakdown of smoke on the water. Yeah. And it was great how you, you broke down, you know, each of the different, how you get, how you get the sound and, you know, the, the different, the slapback reverb and being kind of the integral part. But, but I loved it even when you went to a, a different, a completely different amp and you dialed it in there also by, you know, okay, well let's take back some of the treble. Let's add some of the bass, you know, like you were, it was, it was really cool to watch how you did that. That was a band. fun, spontaneous moment. And it could have gone another way, but, it was kind of nice that I put up the sound and I thought, oh, this is this is not right at all. And I don't know if I can save this. But I think I got the sound by taking away bottom end and then just adjusting the gain on the pedal. Um, so there are simple things you can do to get there quickly. But, yeah, that was a, that was a great moment for me, too. It's like, okay, I got the sound. Now let's plug into this film projector amp. <laughs> and see if we can get it again. And and I turned it on. It was like, no. <laughs> no, it was not even close. Yeah. No. And then dialed and dialed. And, and it was like, okay, that sort of sounds like it. And the reverb helps. And okay. Yes. Yeah. Go. yeah. But at the end, it was like, there you go. That's yeah, it. Right. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, so uh, Timothy West has a question for you. What's your favorite Crowded House song that you played on? I mean, of course, it's it's Don't Dream It's Over because it was uh, a song that got me a lot of work for years afterwards. And I actually played on, there was a band that did a remake of it. And I got to play on that version, too. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Sixpence None the Richer, they're called. And they did a remake of it that was actually good, too. I actually got to play on that version, too. Um, but uh, most of, Neil Finn is a great guitar player and Mitchell Froom brought me into their first record because he didn't trust that Neil Finn could do it. And as the record progressed, it became apparent that Neil had what it took. And, uh, so they didn't necessarily need me, but I was happy to be there. And we tracked that song live, the whole record, like what you hear on that song was live off the floor at Capitol records. So oh, I'm pretty proud of it. That's the best. Yeah. To capture that moment in time. Yeah. And 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 it goes on. Well, that's the best. Well, it's great. It's a great song. And that's that's the thing that's harder to find for all of us as musicians. There's so many great musicians, but it's harder to make great music. So harder to Yeah, make. but the magic of also playing Yeah. Capturing it on the floor. Yeah. Live. With a band. With a band. In a yeah. live context. Yeah. Yeah. There's something special about that. The way it used to be done all the time. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Where now, not so much. I would do meatloaf records with Jim Steinman, and we would work for three days on one song. And by the time you were in it on the third day, every corner you had it just locked, you know, every move. And they, they were complex songs. They were like... Uh, Broadway, you know, they had different sections, yeah. different tempos. And, but working up a song, is, and, and you could do it with a band in two hours. You could do it with some bands, you could do it in 10 minutes. But working up a song as a band and then nailing it, yeah, there are things that happen that never would happen any other way. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Um, 
We've got Nathan the Lister, Lister from Hong Kong. How did you first approach the uh, the need to learn different styles and tones when you started out with the se- within the session industry? He asked. Um, I just I always listened to records and guitar parts on records, and so I always kind of knew what was required. Uh, and for me, it was being scared to death in front of a songwriter who's asking me to make something that sounds like in excess and then make something that sounds like, you know, Motley Crue. And then now make something that sounds like, you know, rockabilly and now make something that sounds like Nirvana. And now that's really what it is. If you're in a situation with people who are trying to find, you know, they're trying to, to make their song sound great. And they basically ask you for guitar is amazing because guitar parts that you have in your arsenal come from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. They're all valid. I mean, maybe you're supposed to sound like Paul Jackson Jr. for this part, or maybe you're supposed to sound like Eddie Van Halen for another part. It's pretty great. The, the, the way that I learned was on-the-job training. I was here. I had moved here. I was already making a living, and I wasn't that good at rhythm guitar, and I wasn't that good at being a studio musician. I wasn't that good at getting parts and sounds. I was surrounded by people who were good at it. I mean, I played with Steve Lukather with the band Charisma, I mean, when I was 23 years old. I saw people who were good at this. I, play, I was... I did a Japanese record with Steve Lukather where he Lucas brought out Monster. Larry Carlton. He brought out Larry Carlton chops instantaneously. Yeah. Uh, or Monster. even Michael Thompson. I mean, he would yeah. he could do anything, any sound, any part. And then the Landau, you know, it took that me was another planet, yeah. Yeah, it took me <laughs> the entire decade of the nineties to sort of play R and B guitar to do that thing Landau did, and then then it wasn't required anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, the, the sound changed. I mean it, it and I still, I still couldn't do what he does because it's a different I re- thing. But I remember watching uh, early on when I was a kid, watching Dan Huff in the studio, and um, just like producer played him the track, and literally they were asking for his interpretation, what part should go here? You know, they were they were literally asking, here's the track, here's what we have so far. What do you think? And I would literally watch him instantaneously come up with the most perfect part you've ever heard on just the drop of a hat, the first play. Yeah, that's what it is. Play that's along with it for a second. Yeah. And then just go, Yeah. What do you think? Perfect. Do it. And then just do it. Yeah. That's that's and, that's uh, the job. And and the most the perfect the most perfect part. Yeah. It was it was like literally you couldn't have asked. It was the the idealistic, perfect part for it. Well, that's what uh, all these at guys a moment. Do. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Immediate, like like I am not allowed. I don't get to take more than a minute or two to get a guitar sound, yeah. and I don't get more than a minute or two to create my part. Yeah, and exactly. that's the job. Yeah. Wow. Now, are you also? Uh, can you read music and charts and all that stuff too, as well, or no? I was never a, a note reader, and some guys sort of could read notes. Uh, you know, they're just modest about their reading, but they really can read. Uh, but in my particular line of work, <coughs> my job was about what you're just talking about, where I was hired to create guitar parts. Yeah. 
And in that case, they're just showing you a chord chart. And so I'm really good at chord charts. I'm really good at playing the same thing twice if I need to, at remembering what I just played and organizing parts and sounds. Uh, but I was never a note reader. And that that's, uh, you know, it's, I wish Dean I could reader, read. Right? Huh? Dean was a note reader, right? Well, he is a note reader. Yeah. I sat next to him uh, at the Grammys. We did the daytime Grammys. There's, I did, there's a film of that that is on my YouTube channel. And I studied for a whole week to get the songs, and he and the other guys just came in and read them. Yeah. Yeah. That's just crazy when yeah, you yeah. guys do them. that, too. Yeah. This like, you know, I have to up, up, down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's crazy. You're like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so Ian Zabalis has a question. Have you ever worked with Rick Rubin? I never have. I met him once, and he was – very nice, and he was actually very svelte. I think he used to be fat, but he was very skinny. Mm -hmm. The thing about Rick Rubin is, and Jimmy Iovine was like that, these are guys who don't necessarily participate in the actual work. They they oversee the work. Uh, and mm -hmm. so you, the people who work for him, they, they usually work with somebody who's underneath him, like another co-producer or an engineer and then he reviews the work and asks for changes and and so he would he could you know in his prime he was doing like five records at a time because he wow. was just being delivered finished work and then asking for changes um except uh, from what i understand except for when he uh would work with vocals on an artist well, that's that's interesting he would, he because would come in, he yeah. would come in from what I understand, at least from at least a yeah. few productions. Yeah, would come in and literally lay on a couch next to the vocalist as the vocalist is doing the vocals, and literally kind of coach the vocalist into the you know what 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 the, what he got out of him. That makes sense because Howard Benson is like that. Howard Benson only concentrates on what he thinks is important. And, and it, it's mostly the vocals. The other part of that is that you're developing a relationship with the, the, the key, you know, that's the relationship. It's the artist and mm -hmm. the stuff that the, the drum beat and the guitar parts, all that stuff is just, you know, it's just in support of the vocal anyway. So it right. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Actually one of Rick Rubin's, uh, recent albums that he worked with Neil Diamond on I don't know if you ever heard it but it's great it is oh, it's, sure. yeah. it's just completely stripped down acoustic and it's it's really good Dave you yeah, should check I, it out I did I did yeah. a Neil Diamond record right after that one that was with Don Was and Don Don Was is there participating the whole time uh, but but it was the record I, I did I think it's Neil's most I did Neil's most recent record yeah oh really yeah, oh. what Don was. Yeah, he just said he's uh, not going to tour anymore. I think I, I read. That's right. right? Yeah, yeah, it's too bad. Um, uh, hey, I have an interesting question here that's geared at me. Sure. Uh, I just, I just saw. I haven't been really like. I have like really bad eye allergies today, so like, what looking at the screen is like hard for me. Um, Someone goes, Dave, do YouTubers have the right to criticize components in your pedals, amplifiers? Uh, can they do that without being reprimanded? Uh, I think that's what it says, reprimanded. 
uh, please talk, Dave. So, hmm. so I think this is uh, this is uh, sort of a, a, a um, people asking um, sort of about what went down with uh, Wampler pedals and um, Phil McKnight. Um, I don't know if I really want to totally address that. Do they have the right to their uh, opinions? Mm. Um, unless they, they actually know what they're looking at, maybe they don't have a right to their opinion. Uh, unless they have years of experience manufacturing products, maybe they don't have their right to an opinion. Uh, but then again, they do have a right to their opinion. So... Um, it might not be an informed opinion. Uh, it might not be a, a very a for, informed opinion, but uh, it might be a right to uh, – I'm not going to say they don't have a right to their own opinion. Of course they do. Um, so maybe that's as far as I'm going to go with that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, unless you're really in the, in the gear manufacturing business and you know years and years of experience – what works and what doesn't work it's 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 hard for me to get behind the judgment of, of a necessarily a youtuber you know i've had i mean tim can attest or whatever i've had 30 30 plus years doing this and i, I over over a period of time i know what breaks i know what works what doesn't work um, I've seen it over and over and over again. So yeah, that's all I got to say. Yeah. And, and you know what? I mean, this stuff is, you on. have a right to your opinion. It's fine. Have your opinion. That's not a problem. I'm not going to talk prepared. about this stuff on the gear page all the time. There's 30, 30 I'm page. Yeah. I'm not going to sit there and, and, and yeah. Insult you. So, <laughs> Gotcha. Um, Pablo Martinez has a question. Please ask him about Petty John pedals. Do you know much about them? I've never used one, so I can't. No, they're, okay. they're good. I've heard that they're good. I know Tim. No, I've, uh, I've, I've used many. They're good. They're good pedal. Yeah, Sean Tubbs has done a bunch yeah, of demos yeah, for them. Some good, good sounding boosts and various drives and things they have it's just really cool and they look really cool i think i think they look really yeah, cool. guys, yeah keep talking i'm gonna i'm gonna go i have to do a little move on youtube right now and let me just do it okay uh and i'll be back with you in about 60 seconds but you can keep talking to me can you yeah. still see me yeah yeah i can yeah. see now i'm okay now i have to verify it's me okay hold on here no problem no problem no problem um so, Dave, there was actually a question for you earlier about, and I can't remember who asked me it, but it was uh, on the on our Facebook page about the pickups and when they're going to be available and where they can get them. Okay, pickups pickups are going to be available shortly. Um, we're kind of waiting on packaging right now. We're just kind of waiting on our packaging coming in. Uh, we actually have them physically, but we just need the packaging to send them out to you. Mm. Um They'll be available on our website and through various dealers. So these so are the same pickups that we actually currently use in our guitars. So. And it, it, both the humbuckers and the P90s and the, the humbuckers, P90s, and the single coils. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay. Cool. Why um, did the single coils sound good? 
Yeah. I mean, they all sounded good. You wouldn't know, Mark, unless there was a left-handed guitar coming your way, right? Well, I mean, I've heard people playing them. So <laughs> that's why I'm just jealous. Uh, well, you did say that they were, you guys are going to be building some lefty ones, right? Yes, and one, one of them will be yours. Well, when are you going to do that? When is that happening? Uh, we have to place an order with Grover shortly, so actually you should tell me what you want. All right, I'll email it to you this weekend. Yeah. Okay. I'm actually getting my guitar from Grover on Monday. Oh, hey, great. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it'll arrive, it'll arrive in one piece. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Hopefully it won't be broken at the tip again. You know what? If it is, I'm just taking it. I'm keeping it. However it arrives, I'm keeping it. So I don't think Grover wants to hear from me again. Hey, here. <laughs> Tim, are you back? I'm back. I just I had to just change the setting on a YouTube video. Hey, and, uh, yeah, uh, let's talk. Someone, let's talk. Someone asked, someone asked, uh, have you ever worked with Mutt Lang? No, I never have. But uh, I've, I talked to, D- to Dan Huff about Mutt, Mutt Lang. He would hire Dan. I talked to Michael Thompson about Mutt Lang. Mutt Lang is also a great guitar player. And uh-huh. a lot of the time he wants, the, uh, you know, he wanted Dan to actually play the exact part that Mutt was having him play. And Dan would have to sit there and just do it over and over and over because, you know, uh-huh. Mutt Lang is very methodical. Yeah, yeah. But the greatest story I have about Mutt Lang is that I used to work with his programmer. His programmer then moved to Switzerland to work with him. Uh, Ali, Ula, Ula Romo, really great guy. I would do sessions for Ula. And Ula said, I, so I would say, so what are Mutt's hours? And he said, oh, it's not bad. It's 11 to 4. And I thought, okay. And then a little bell went off in my head. You, you mean 11 a.m. to 4 a.m.? <laughs> he said, yeah. I, I guess Mutt actually, he actually sleeps in, in you know, there were stories about Michelangelo just getting up and working and then just sleeping. And Prince was that way too. Prince would stay up for three days and, and, and not even think about sleeping. But I, I, I think Mutt, the story about Mutt is that he'll sleep for 15 minutes and go back to work. So um, I'm, you know, I'd have to talk to Michael Thompson. Michael Thompson loved working with him and so did Dan Huff, but Dan would go, why are you flying me all the way to Switzerland and paying me all this money to just play this simple part that you could play? You know, there was a little of that going on. It's just such a perfectionist. Um, I mean, Mutt Lang is one of the best songwriters in the history of, you know, he right. wrote a lot of those songs. And so, and, and the other thing Ola told me, I guess he did a Brian Adams record with him in Canada and he literally was there for months and he did not, the first time he went outside was when he was leaving for the airport and the record was done. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, you know, it's just all work all the time. So you yeah. got a pretty amazing. Hmm. Here's a good question uh, from Ben Coombs. Tim, was there a favorite studio or room that you'd like to record in? Uh, there have been many, but I would say that my favorite studio is Sunset Sound. Um, oh, yeah. They have kept, you know, the, all the rooms are old, so it's like walking into an old school or whatever. There are three rooms and a courtyard, so you're constantly running into people, which is, is a wonderful thing. Um, the The actual studio is <coughs> is completely paid for, so they have no they own the building and they own everything outright. There is no debt, so all the money goes to the salaries of the 
the the the tech people who are there and stay there forever. Mm-hmm. So you have this amazing staff. The parking lot is really big, and you can pull your car right up to the yep. entrance and unload your gear. Um, it's not pretentious at all. And when you look at the records on the wall, it should be the most pretentious place in the world. Yeah. Van Halen 1, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Purple Rain, Led Zeppelin 4, Every Doors record. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. It sounds great. It feels great. The headphones sound great. Um, I know the manager. You know, it's just, it's, it's incredible. Their other studios are great, too. I mean, Henson is great. They're really nice to you. But I'll tell you, one thing I really like about a studio is when you have access to the outdoors. And Sunset Sound is that way because of the courtyard and the parking lot, to be quite honest. Henson is harder to get out of because of the security. Um, Capital is amazing, but it's also harder to get out of because of the security. So oddly for me, I like being able to walk outside. Now, my favorite studio right now is a place called Sphere. It's the former Royal Tone. Linda Perry owned it after that. and Have you been working there? I have, yeah. Right. I've been working Francesco, with Francesco, um, my buddy Francesco. Huh? Francesco Camelli. Oh, that's Francesco. So Francesco yeah. has created the best environment in town. And yeah, absolutely. It's and the best coffee. Everything about it, the staff, Gary, you know, I've known Gary the tech for since the eighties. Uh the guitar gear, the the mm-hmm. the amp gear, the rooms, the, I mean it's and because of it, it's it's like booked solid. I mean, yeah. that's my favorite studio now, Sphere in Burbank. Yeah, Sphere is great. Formerly and, Royal Town, Linda Perry yeah, Studio. You know and, the original story, it was built, an heir to the Piggly Wiggly Grocery Fortune, built that studio for $13 million. It's a $13 million facility. Yeah. Uh, the, the actual building. Yeah. And now he's built upon that. Um, so it's pretty great. Yeah, no, I remember when he first bought it, and and we started doing some business together, Francesco and I, and uh, I was at the opening party for the studio, and the, I was seeing it as it was being remodeled and stuff when he was remodeling it. So I'm I'm very very familiar with it, and uh, it is an amazing place. <laughs> yeah, cool. it, it is. It's truly amazing. I mean, these people, uh, I mean, East West is like that. It's a great studio, too. I love the staff. Formerly Ocean Way. Yeah. Well, the Ocean Way is well, now, it's still ocean, uh, yeah, what are they call, what's it called now? They changed it. United. Now it's called United. But that but, big yeah, room, the big rooms were Ocean Way for a while. Yeah, it I was Ocean Way. And the, yeah, I'm not. United Art. Was it a United Artist originally or something? No, when I moved here, they were both called United Western. United Western. That was yeah, it. and then that's where I did my first record there with a band called Shandy, and Van Halen was rehearsing next door. And that, yeah, Van Halen. Yeah, you live in L.A., and it's just part of your, you know. DNA. DNA yeah. And, and then, like, Pete's, Pete's his friend, and you guys, you're his friend, too. You've worked with yeah, him. You know? so yeah, it's like, I worked with Van Halen tons. Yeah, it's, it's so great living near these people but yeah east west i mean it's they keep the rooms the same which is one of the it's a really neat thing like they remodeled the the common area at east west but they keep the rooms the same which is really really smart and that studio is really affordable the staff is amazing it's really nice and the reason it gets to exist is because they have you know the, the the guy running it is kind of a patron a patron is somebody who 
basically covers all the extra costs so that artists can work. Yeah. And some of these studios are like that. I would say Sphere is like that. I mean, he's, he charges, he doesn't overcharge for the rooms and he's, he's offering something amazing to artists yeah. and, and covering basically the overhead. Yeah. Great. Right. Very cool. Yeah. He had a very successful studio in, in, in England for years. Oh, cool. Great. Sphere in England. Well, I'm sure this one is successful too, but boy, he he's just spared no expense in oh yeah, no, no, it's it. the finest gear, it's the finest Amazing. everything yeah. that you can that you can imagine, and yeah. and knowing him, it won't be any other way. You know, that's just yeah. that's just the right. way he is. Yeah. So. Um, Mark Satherwaite has a question for Tim: How is it playing with drummer Kenny Arnoff? It's amazing. I know him. I, be, you know, I, I, I get to know these people. I mean, we've traveled together. We've done all kinds of stuff together. He, I met him in the eighties. The first thing I did with him was a Belinda Carlisle record and he was really bombastic and he had a huge personality, which he still does. Mm. But the thing about Kenny is that he's, he's an elastic drummer and what you want, well, they're, they're all different kinds of drummers, but he's great in that he can stay with the click but when he plays a fill, he makes a decision to either pull ahead or pull behind so that it actually gives you something that's very human. And then when he lands on the downbeat, he comes back to the click again. So you think about that. He's actually has this elastic performance around mm. the click so that what he does is is dead accurate, but it's also human. Right. He's amazing. And he's gotten better over. He's one of those guys who gets better all the time, just like Dean. He's a better drummer. Kenny is a better drummer today than he was when I first met him in the 80s. It's just, you know, it's it's amazing. So tell me about, you've also, speaking of other famous drummers, I'm sure you worked with Abe Jr. Oh, yeah. And uh, who is another different style than Kenny. Uh, Amazing, uh, ridiculous drummer. I've known him for a lot of years. Do you want me to say some things about Abe? If you want to. I do. Uh, Abe, <laughs> Abe is somebody, he's, he's, he's kind of like, he's an artist drummer. So what you do when you hire Abe, first of all, he never, even before he got the McCartney gig, he never took every session. He and Matt Chamberlain are, share that in common. They really, really, they could work more and make more money as session musicians, but they're very careful about the work they do. They, they don't, they don't overwork and they choose stuff that they really want to play on. Um, in Abe's particular case, he's, he's such a great musician and he's also a producer naturally, intrinsically that when you hire him, he's going to give you a concept on drums. That is his, mm-hmm. it's his concept. Yeah. He's not going to give you Kenny Aronoff. Right. And you had better not ask him to do anything like that because you're hiring an artist. He's going to give you his interpretation. interpretation. Be, yeah. mm-hmm. And that's the strongest thing you can do. I mean, Jim, that's why you're hiring him. Yeah, exactly. Or and, Jim Keltner yeah, or, or yeah. Steve Gadd. Yeah, exactly. You, you want the, you want these people to be themselves. And, and Abe is, you know, he's an artist. He's not, he's not just a drummer. He's an artist. And the thing is, I've had the producer, I've been in sessions with Abe where the producer walks out of the room because they have other stuff to do and Abe will start producing and he'll help with the guitar. I mean, Abe will, 
he was the guy who first turned me on to the Radiohead whammy sound because he had done it on something he, you know, he had played that guitar part on one of his own things, Abe had. Ah. So he turned me on to that beautiful, glitchy, you know, uh, uh, whammy sound. Yeah. So he thinks of every, you know, he's he's thinking of the music, not just the Uh, Yeah, he's such a a wonderful human being, too. Yeah. That's cool. Amazing person. Uh, I've known him for a lot of years, since back when uh, I used to tech for Mike Landau. Back in the day, well, I used to tech for Mike Land. I used to tech for Mike Landau when he did his live gigs with with like Burning Water and our uh, uh, Raging Honkies and the couple bands he had. And oh, I knew Abe from the Raging Honkies, obviously, and uh, that was like way back. <laughs> yeah, I, and Abe's dad lives around the corner. Abe Senior lives around the corner from yeah. me, and I've done tons of sessions with Abe Senior, and so. Uh, uh, and what's what's his brother's name? Um, uh, Mateus. Uh, I, I know Mateus too. Abe's brother's yeah. a really great programmer, musician also. Mateo, huh. that's it, Mateo. Right. Uh, Very cool. But yeah, that's that's like L.A. royalty. I mean, families that where you you grew up in L.A. and your dad's one of the top studio musicians, and then you become yeah. a studio musician. That's like. That's like <laughs> That's hard to compete with. Right. Yeah, that's uh, lineage. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's great. So tell me about Belinda Carlisle, because I, when I was in high school, I had a huge crush on her. Was she awesome to work with? Was she cool? She was actually really nice. The thing is, I ended up working with all the Go-Go's, except for the bass player. And I ended up at some gig somewhere where three of them were there, and I got busted because I never told any of the other girls that I was working with the others individually. <laughs> it, was, it was Jane Weedland said, she said, you're like a therapist. You don't tell anybody that you're working with anybody. <laughs> I worked with four, all everybody except Karen Valentine. I think that was her name, but I worked with three or four of the other uh, women and uh, cause they were all songwriters and, and, I did demos. I never stopped doing demos. Even when I, the day after I did the Bruce Springsteen record, I was doing a demo for a guy in his bedroom. I never stopped doing that. Hmm. Um, And so I was always doing demos with, with songwriters, no matter who it was. But the thing is, I actually, I actually auditioned for her tour. She was doing a solo tour when she did her solo record and I actually got the gig and I turned it down. Um, because I had two other things going. I had toy matinee and I also had, I actually auditioned for animal logic and got the gig too, uh, and turned that down. Michael Thompson had done the record, but that was Stanley Clark and Stuart Copeland and playing with Stanley Clark and Stuart Copeland was a rush. It was a rush. God, that that name has been uttered in my ears for so many years. And then you just, they were like, Oh, Oh Yeah. Yeah, and I almost, during that period of time, too, I almost became the guitar player in Mr. Mister. I auditioned, and I got almost to the end, and Pat Mustelotto, the drummer, called me and said, well, you fucked up. You almost you almost got it. We're not going with you. I don't know exactly <laughs> what it was I didn't do right, but it was actually a blessing in disguise because after I lost that gig, I got the gig with Toy Matinee, and that was one of the best things I'd ever done. I worked with Pat Leonard for like two decades after that, so it was great. Wow, great! 
That's super cool. Um, so Dan Pfeiffer has a question. He wants to know how many guitars do you own, Tim? Uh, I'm up to about between eighty and ninety, and I'm trying to to you know I'm trying to to reduce that number. It's it's time. <laughs> yeah, it's time. I mean, they, uh, mostly in vintage. Our, no, I never really got into the vintage thing. I like okay. new guitars, and I like paying, you know, two or three or four grand for a guitar. And 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 although I I did buy a vintage three thirty five from Norm right before Christmas, it's the most expensive guitar I've ever bought. And but it's totally devalued. It has, it's been refretted, and the pickups are not original. And the Bigsby was replaced with a stock tailpiece. So heavily reduced in value. I like guitars that are affordable mm -hmm. and I'm beginning to, you know, I'm going to, uh, although I do get given guitars these days and when you're given a guitar, you can't really sell it. And, and sometimes I, I can't give them back without, you know, it's not, it seems kind of insulting yeah, to, rough, to yeah. give it back, you know, after you've been given it. So, mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's a quality problem. I have mates, you know. I pay mates for storage, so I I, I can store whatever I want over there. And uh, mm -hmm. and mm. I'm going to try and reduce, though. I'm going to try and thin the herd, as they all say. <laughs> thin the herd a little bit and buy yeah. a little more. Yeah. Some more amps. There you go. Yeah. More amps, more guitars. Um, Timothy West, do you have any Neil Finn stories? No, I'm not familiar with Neil Finn. Well, that's the guy in Crowded House, and oh, okay, he's he is he is Crowded House. He is the songs that you hear by Crowded House, and I don't really have any any stories about him. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I know that he did very well, and he has a beautiful family, and they live in New Zealand. He's got some sort of a complex and a facility and a studio there. You know, he he was such a great songwriter that. I mean, his songs will live forever. No, there's no... The thing is, most of what gets done in my line of work is just people showing up during the daytime and working as professionals and going home at night. It's really... Uh, there's not a lot of... And it's gotten more that way. Um, you know, I'm in, I'm in the production side of, of music and it's it's just people working hard and doing their best most of the time. No, awesome. Uh, Ian Zabalis, uh, Tim, ever play for Sarah McLaughlin? No, but I, I loved that guy, Bill. What was his name? guitar player's name. Bill, Bill, Bill Wasn't trouble, something like that. Bill. Bill, Bill. Yeah, he was, he was, he was cool. Huh? Yeah, and really, really like random events that he would put yeah, together. Yeah, and, cool. But that's the kind of music. That's the kind of music that I wish I could still play. I mean, it's funny that music. All that music got inherited by people in Nashville, and and it's it's really it makes me jealous that the music that I liked to play the most. It was like Nashville said, "Okay, you don't want it, we'll take it," and now it's there. So you hear yeah. that kind of music. Uh, in addition to a lot of corporate countries kind of stuff too, but you hear those kind of guitar tones and that kind of music coming out of Nashville. And it's, 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 it's a drag because you don't, you're not allowed to really do that here in LA, you know, as much. Well, it's sort of like, it's sort of like the, uh, the, that era of guitar music went to Nashville and is there still. Yeah. It's wonderful. It, um, 
it's funny we do Nashville Nam. Um, we'll be doing it again this year, and um, it's interesting because it's primar- primarily a, an instrument show. You know, it's 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 a it's a guitar more a smaller, way smaller, mm-hmm. uh, guitar driven show. Um, wow. Not so much all the other companies, mostly guitars yeah. and effects right. and stuff. And um, last year we went, and I hadn't been to Nashville in. Um, Oh, I don't know, 15, 15 plus years or something. And um, I must say it's changed a lot <laughs> in 15 plus years. I bet. Um, maybe for the worse. No, well, no offense to anyone in Nashville, but yeah. um, it, it's gotten a little more Las Vegas-like and a sure. little, yeah. little less like the, the cool honky-tonk yeah. kind of place. More touristy, uh, yeah. Well, and music, music production but, has, has become... Uh, anyway, finish. What were you about to say? A lot of guitar playing still. A lot, a lot, a lot of music still going on there. Yeah, so. the best, the best guitar players in some yeah. way. I mean, it, it's it's guitar heaven there. The thing yeah. is, anywhere music production has become so efficient that I think it's harder to be a Nashville session musician now because it's a bit more of a factory than it used to be even i think probably and the nice thing about la is things are very random and still kind of out of control and i might be working with somebody stylistically a- any particular month i'm doing every style under the sun nice. uh, except for jazz which i'm not capable of playing or classical <laughs> but here i think stylistically things are much more open and I do a lot of Italian records. Italian pop music is very melodic and, and in some ways old-fashioned. I work with an Italian producer. I was working on a song for him today. It was just gorgeous. And they have a lot. It's, it's, it reminds me of Nashville in the way that it's, uh, they still value a lot of the old, older, you know, a lot of the you know, 90s stuff. It's not, it, it's not all laptop-generated like yeah, pop music yeah. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think I think you know, when you talk to the guitar players that we all know in Nashville, a lot of them end up taking road gigs because they just want to get off the assembly line for a yeah, minute, you know. Sure. And that's probably you know get out and have fun. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, Tim, who is your favorite producer to work with? Well, it's probably there's there's a lot of them, and. Like I loved working with Trevor Horn, uh, and I, I love working with Rob Cavallo because I, he's a great guitar player. And so these days, we didn't used to do this. These days, we actually play together on records. Like I'll have a Les Paul in my hands, and he'll say, "Let me try that," and he'll try it, and then he'll do a little bit. We've done records together. Well, he'll, he'll literally play a couple of bars, and I'll play a couple of bars. So I, you know, I probably would say he's my favorite because we have. Uh, I mean, it's rare for the best guy. I mean, for he got to the point where he was chairman of Warner Brothers Records, and he was still loyal. I mean, he he's been loyal to me in a way that you. I mean, generally the bigger people get the less loyal they can afford to be there's nothing wrong with that but he's been really loyal he's a great guitar player he's really enthusiastic and it's always really fun and you know there's a lot of food that get gets eaten and uh you know there's no real drinking or anything but it's 
it's really fun. It's kind of like a party. Uh, it's yeah. really fun. So yeah, I'd say he's my favorite. But you get you get into the keyboard players like David Foster, who I worked with a few times, not a lot, and Patrick Leonard that I worked for a million times and with. If you're working for a brilliant keyboard player, they're going to solve all your problems harmonically. Like if you're playing something, and I'm working with Pat Leonard, and I come to some place that where I'm going, what do I play here? He has an idea, and it's a great one, and you just cop it and do it. So when you're working on something and you just run into a, a, a speed bump, somebody like that, they just they just lift you up and over it. You know, yeah, Foster's that yeah. way too. He's got so many good ideas. Like play a Beatles part here, try this part here, and you know Walter Afanasyev's that way. He's brilliant keyboard players. I love them because uh, they they solve all your problems. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but you know Dan Huff was that way too. I did a, a Rascal Flatts record out here for Dan Huff, and it's the same thing. You know, it's like you know he can tell me that my sound is just a hair too distorted, or you know why don't you try more of a chordal part here? You know, it's immediate solutions to problems yeah immediate solutions quick yeah it's just you know and love and support you know i remember dan said to me yeah he said to me he said you know a lot of guitar players kind of clam up when they work for me and i said dude what's not gonna happen (laughs) 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 it was a joy it's a joy i mean it's like it's incredible it's great you know john shanks it's he's a joy to work with uh it's just because he he wants you to do everything you can think of, and he's really really enthusiastic about all the colors that you put down, and yeah. and, and then you know you're sharing it with him too, and he's going to play parts. It's just like yeah, yeah, it's 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 awesome. That's that's awesome. Here, this is a good, interesting question, um, and I I know from myself uh, it varies, but uh, do you have a particular preferred style neck? Uh, whether it be Fender or fret size and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I like jumbo frets, uh, and I like frets that are almost that big. But I really like a modern compound radius neck. I like necks that are made by machines. Um, I really like, you know, the neck that you would find on a Sur or an Anderson or a Grosh. Mm -hmm. These, These modern, perfect necks. Now, I can find Gibsons occasionally that... The reason I bought that vintage 335 is a 62. It had it has a great refret fret, fret with really fat frets and an A plus neck. And the neck is really important to me now. I can't. I don't like a lot of the vintage Fender Strat necks. My hands just don't function well on them. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of a, a you know. I like the new necks. Right. Yep. Yep. Dave, your necks are compound radius, right? Yeah, compound radius 10 to 14. That's I, I I've got to try one of your guitars. I talked to Grover at, at the shop, and I've got to try one soon. Yeah, you do. Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, like I said, maybe you should come down one day and just uh, yeah. That way, that way you can just go. Here's twenty of them if you want to play them. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like that's, that's a nice. That's, that's a nice that's a better way to do that's it. That's a good day. Yeah. What kind of vibe do you want? With the telly, the strat, or the. <laughs> So we got a question from Timothy Pierce uh, asking Tim about Tom Anderson guitars. What Tom Anderson guitars do you use, Tim? Uh, for years, I used just a couple of Strats that had Floyd Roses, and I loved those guitars. And then I moved on. My favorite one right now is called a Bulldog, which he 
had to stop making because Gibson sent sent him a letter he, that said he couldn't make that shape anymore. So he's adapted into something different. But it's basically a Les Paul Junior with P90s. Mm. But it has the neck I like, and it has a straight string pull. My my I love Gibsons, but I I never have been able to make that headstock thing play in tune. So I love PRSs and and my Mike Tuttle guitars and my Andersons because they they do a more straight string pull and the G string stays in tune. It's really that simple. So right. now I've moved on to the Bulldog, but uh, I I have five Andersons and I really I really like them all. But I would say right now it's it's the Bulldog. Cool, cool. We're hoping to have Tom on the show one of these days. I spoke to him oh, at good. AM. Good. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, makes beautiful guitars. He does. Um, so we have a question of speaking of Gibson, uh, and they wanted to know what we think about the prospect of Gibson going under, all the news, blah, blah, blah. Um, what do you guys think? Dave? I can go first if you want. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to go first, but I don't want to steal your moment. Well, you know, Gibson, um, what do I think about that? I don't know if Gibson will cease to exist. I don't think that's, that's – I think there will be a reorganization, uh, mm-hmm. as a lot of people are saying. Yeah. Um, I, I highly doubt it will cease to exist. Do I hope that someone else takes control of the company other than Henry Jankowitz or however you say his last name? Uh, I hope so because um, um, because they really haven't been listening to people for a long time. And, right. Uh, and, and if they did, uh, it would be a great thing. Um, so I hope there's a bright future. We'll see what happens. I, I, I don't. I don't really. Um, you know, I'm not really a Gibson guy, though. So you know, I, I can appreciate a, a great Gibson Les Paul, yes, but um, I've never sort of been a Gibson guy. I'm, I'm definitely more of a kind of a Fender guy or a Strat style guy, uh, Telly or, or something like that, than than a Gibson. Um. um yeah, I don't know why. It just feels more comfortable to me. <laughs> yeah. You know, so um, I, 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 I sure yeah. hope it doesn't go away because I appreciate the guitar. Yeah, they they won't go away. I, I mean, somebody, you know, I, I think everybody hopes that they'll be sold to somebody who reinvigorates them and creates their new products with great care. My problem uh, over the years has been just the prices. I mean, it's, it was just, it, it was a marketing thing that worked for them to sell this image and charge too much money for it. And the guitars are pretty good, but a lot of them are not great. And the guitars they make that are great are just ridiculously expensive. I, and, and they, they, the, I mean, I remember I used to be able to get an artist price from Gibson which was 60% off and you would order the guitar and it would take a while to get to you. And sometimes that guitar would not be great, but it was usually pretty good. And then they ended that. And, and after that, everything they did seemed to foster less and less goodwill. But beyond that, you have all of these guitar makers such as yourself. I mean, the guitars you make, you, you make sure that they're great. Everything about yeah. them is great. Every yeah. cor- everything, even though they're made 
in high numbers or medium high numbers. Everything about your guitars are great. And Tom Anderson's guitars are great. So you just can't keep releasing this, this image. It, it just was like a, you know, yeah. Now it's one thing. It's one thing if Gibson would have um, high prices, but the the workmanship and the greatness to back it up. Maybe we could buy into that. Um, but to get a mediocre guitar at a very high price, it's kind of yeah. And what I mean by a very high price is over five thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, or, or you know, it's like, or even five thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, forty five hundred, five grand. Yeah, and I think everybody at a certain point they knew that Gibson was trading on their history and and kind of and kind of not. It was not an honest thing. I mean, it's we're you know, it's like we're you know, isn't this great because we. We made the Stradivarius of guitars, the '59 Les Paul, and and here's the new version of that. But it's not really right. It's the, the new it's, version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always slightly different and never close to yeah, what. Yeah, never quite. And then and then let's talk about the new guitars. Oh well, the okay. Have you seen the Flying V? No, the new Flying V. It's no. a ripoff of the Jackson. Orville, yeah, well, it was right? a, it, it's it's a very uh, extremely. In fact, look it up, Tim, if you get a chance. It's it's a very yeah. modern take on uh, a flying V, and uh, the response has basically been, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> you know. And the funny thing is, it's it's a, almost an exact knockoff of a Jackson flying V that existed. Uh, I don't know how many years ago. Um, right. And then there's all the uh, strange colored guitars they've been doing, the limited release. There's these 70s striped sort of ones that they've just come out with that are sort of yeah, like, like the car, hot rod, cars, car. hot rod, car, striped 70s kind of motif. And then there's the uh, uh, neon, uh, neon Les Pauls, um, which uh, are truly also special. Um, um, and and you just look at it going, what the heck are you doing? Who asked for this? Who asked for this? Who asked for these? Are they selling? No, I, I would I would bet to say. I'm not saying that the guitar might not be okay. It might be, <clears throat> it might be a decent guitar. I'm not sure. Um, but if you bet, if you talk to nine out of ten dealers that carry Gibson, they'll go, oh my god. <laughs> Because when they did all those standards that had um, the robo tuners and everything, all the dealers were going, "Oh my god, no yeah. one, no one wanted robo tuners. Uh, no one wanted the what was it? Wasn't there a detachable pick guard that was a weird thing? No one wanted the change neck shape or the wider nut. No one, right, no right, one right, wanted right. any of this stuff. Like, like." Talk about not listening to your customer base. I mean, it's it's, it's like, well, and, and it's like me coming out right now. It's like going, you know what? Forget it. I'm not doing any more of my Marshall bass amps. I'm doing jazz amps. Yeah, right. right. How's that going to go? The, the the thing is, these big companies they're not responsive. <laughs> they're not quick. You know, we talked about earlier in the evening. This is which is great. It's it's that was a couple hours ago. 
We talked about, <laughs> about being, being able to adapt and big companies like you'll see it. I've been to the offices of one of the other big companies uh, <laughs> and it's it's basically just guys who take meetings, basically. Yeah. Oh, I, and <laughs> you said it, not me. So you're 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 basically. How, how do you? I, I mean, and I talked to guys. Uh, uh, this guy who worked at um, one of the record companies, who said we can't move fast enough to compete anymore because I have to have seventeen me- meetings just to release a video, whereas the people I'm competing with release the video the next day. Yeah. So it, it's a little bit of that. They don't. They don't. They can't function anymore, and and so they're getting guys like you and Tom Anderson and people who are lean and mean and figuring stuff out and, and pivoting constantly. It's the pivot. You literally can wake up one morning and go, Oh, we have to do the opposite of what we're doing. Now, if you're working at a big company, that's impossible. You take that up the chain of command and you get, you get, you can't do it and you lose your job. Yeah. So uh, there's a little of that. Also, I think uh, Pete and I talked about this. We are at a point with guitars where they're not as popular as they used to be in the sense that popular culture it's somewhere else now. It's the iPhone and the iPad and the, you know, every it's all the other gizmos and gadgets. So there has to be a trimming of fat somewhere and it's going to happen at Gibson and Fender because they're making so many guitars. And the other thing we talked about, if you want a Gibson Les Paul, you can find it used. You don't have to buy a new one. You can just go buy it used. It's true. So how are they going to keep this thing afloat? It needs to be downsized and remade. I mean, the hope is that somebody who loves guitars will take it over and yeah, turn them hope. into a piece of art again. I don't anyway. no, believe me. I don't want to see Gibson go away in any yeah. way, shape, or form. Um, um, I no, hope. No, I no. hope that happens. I, I mean, it's sort of yeah. like watching, you know, legacy brands like Marshall and stuff, kind of. Yeah, disintegrate a bit, um, yeah. and it's like, oh God, that sucks. You know, I, I just, I, I don't want to see that happen to that that kind of iconic, exactly uh, brand. You don't want to see that happen. You want to, yeah. See when I, when I see a Marshall, some Marshall at Best Buy that's actually a, a Bluetooth speaker or something. Yeah, you just kind of okay. going, oh God, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes you cringe. It makes you cringe. But right? hey, let's get let's get yeah. let's give it to them. Now the Bluetooth speaker actually that they make actually does sound good. Well, good. Okay, <laughs> it's you know, it's kinda, corrected. It's kind of good, and, the, and I'm sure the refrigerator works fine. Yeah, I, I, I would love to. <laughs> but, I, um, I'll be honest. I would love to have one of those refrigerators. <laughs> yeah, I have. You know, I wanted one when I saw one too. They're yeah. a little they're expensive though. That's the problem. Huh. How you doing on time, Tim? I'm okay. Well, let's let's go for a few more minutes. I mean, uh, yeah, okay, I, yeah. All right, good. Let's see. What the time kind of flies on the show. You know, I if you'd have told me that we were going to do this for this long, I would have thought that's impossible. But it it it's it's, it's been three hours, and it's amazing. It like it's that, like right? I don't want to. It's like I don't want to stop. You know, it's like I did this session with. There used to be a guy named Shelly Yakis. I remember who was famous, Yackes. famous guy. Yeah. And he would, and what would happen in the studio after you'd been there for like ten or twelve hours? You had a hard time leaving because it became like this womb. And he said, he said it's like here you are in this great place. 
you're surrounded by all the things you love the most. You just can't leave. I mean, it's kind of, but it's it's that kind of feeling. I think the conversation is like, I could t- I could tell. I mean, it's like, I you know, the stories are there, but some of them you can't tell. It's like with Henley, we had to be very like you would have gone further, but we had Pete to chime in and go, "Hey guys, uh, it's it's." I had a great experience with him. So some of the stories. You don't you don't want to talk out of school, but there God, there's so many the history we have we've seen so much. Yeah, it's, there's it's a, amazing. You have to be respectful too of, yeah. uh, of yeah. some people and 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 stuff like that. Or or you know if you get to be like uh, <clears throat> Quincy Jones uh, at that age, maybe yeah. uh, you don't care anymore. Yeah, and and there are some people that you can safely go a little further with and and be critical of. But um, I don't know. I ended up getting to work with uh, most of my heroes and meeting some of my other heroes, and it's it's been yeah, it's been great. That's that's. I awesome. got to say the same thing, kind of. Basically. Yeah, you do. You, you have to say the same sort thing. Of context, but sort yeah. of the same thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I got to yeah. work with. Yeah. Uh, many of my heroes. I hope to still work with a few more. Yeah. And, uh, um, well, the thing, the guitar thing is alive and well. Um, Rick Knowles is a producer I worked with a lot, and he's the guy who did that Belinda Carlisle record. He emailed me this week, and he does Lana Del Rey's stuff right now. So he's oh, still, that's great. He does, does great. all her stuff. Um, and he emailed me this week. I'm going to go have breakfast with him. And he was talking about how, hey, I heard Gibson's going out of business. now, So he's not... He's not connected like we are. He doesn't know. He's making. He's a songwriter, producer. So he yeah. saw the headline, and he said, "The laptop is the go for new musicians." It's kind of sad, isn't it? And and we've all gotten past that. I went to the Nam show. Guitar. The the guitar is strong. The electric yeah. guitar is super strong. It's just not part of celebrity culture. Yeah, but I, I mean, I have tons of people. Joining my masterclass, I have tons of people looking at my YouTube videos. You guys have the same experience. I mean, yeah. it's huge, mm-hmm. and it's healthy for those who are willing to adapt and try and do good stuff. You know, I, I, I have hope sometimes. Like uh, when you when you see bands like uh, uh, Greta Van Fleet, you know about them. Yeah, have you heard them. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually got to see them live for a minute, and and like I'm just watching them, and I'm going, okay, yes, it's it's very Zeppelin esque, okay, um, but they were really great as musicians. I, I, the bass player in particular was 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 amazing, and he played keyboards and and all this stuff, and it it was just nice to see uh, such young. Uh, people playing guitar music, you know, right. and uh, and that was uh, that made me have a little hope. <laughs> well, well, Dave, I mean, the thing is, I I do videos for Instagram, and if you watch the guitar players on Instagram and you start to follow the ones that you like, they play circles around me, and it's not, it's not, it's tasteful, and yeah. it's all the parts and all the styles and all the complexity and all, and then. You know, it, some of it could be simpler, but 
the guitar players on Instagram are phenomenal. All these yeah. guys that I follow, yeah. it's crazy how good they are. There's a lot of great and lot girls of great talent. too, yeah. guys and yeah. girls. So yeah. it's and that really wasn't the case like ten years ago. There wasn't. I mean, there's far right, more correct. interest now. Yeah, I mean, correct. Pete was talking about that. It's it's for some reason in the '90s, it all kind of nobody was interested in practicing the guitar, and then somehow it must have been ten years ago, because what I'm hearing now is just people who are just crazy good, young yeah. people who are just crazy, crazy good. And a lot, a lot of like uh, singer songwriter finger style type of that. I yeah. see a lot of that on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Cool. Um, let's see if there's any other questions. Uh, oh, this is cool. I just saw this. Uh, anybody know Lindsay L? Have you heard of her? No. No. Check her out. Um, she uh, she's a cute blonde, uh, countryish, popish, but she's country uh, guitar oriented music, um, and it very good, very it, like. I, I was playing some for my wife. My wife was, was very into it. So I'll make a note of it. I'll look for it. Cool. Yeah, Lindsay L. And uh and it's guitar oriented. And she's got some cute videos of her painting her guitar and it's guitar oriented music. That you know, that's the thing. Like I think country music has become kind of the guitar oriented music. It has for now. For, I mean, they inherited it and they inherited classic rock and it makes me jealous, frankly, but it's just the way it is right now. You know, it just, It'll shift. It, 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 yeah. And it all happens, you know, that the cowboy hat, you know, some of them have <coughs> cowboy hats to do that, you know, so just the way it is. Yeah. You don't control. Well, yeah. How this, you kind of, the thing is for an artist these days, they kind of have to do everything themselves and it's, it's a tall order, but, it's all if you can if you can poke if you can poke through the noise uh you know record labels were never very fair to artists that they didn't promote they were they were good with the people they promoted but for every artist they promoted there were mm. 10 or 20 artists that they wouldn't promote and it's kind of better now because you don't need a record company if you're an artist so <coughs> you, you actually own your own business you own your own business, and that's yeah. good. That's a good thing. Yeah, kind of have a little bit of your own set, your own destiny. Yeah, in a way. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so the question: What is Dave going to be doing in Detroit, May nineteenth? Uh, Eggnator amp amp building class for Eggnator is the same day there. He said. Oh, is it really? Are you going? <laughs> uh, I'm uh, not going, but uh, putting, uh, yeah. We're putting on a show um, at a very famous venue in Detroit um, with some friends of mine uh, for this band, Seduce, that I grew up watching in the 80s. And um, also, we're going to have one of our Friedman artists, Cairo Knife Fight, on the, on the show. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a big old venue called Harpo's in Detroit. Harpo's was the premier sort of... Uh, well, it's been there since the 30s. It was the Harper Theater originally. And um, uh, it was sort of the premier rock venue uh, of Detroit. It's kind of quite large. It's about, uh, if, I don't even know, a couple thousand people at least uh, of a venue or 2,500 or something. And um, 
there's a new owner, um, another iconic club owner that used to own several other clubs in Detroit that has taken it over and he is, uh, been slowly restoring the venue. Um, um, so I, I, I wanted to get involved in doing kind of a big show and uh, sort of, uh, keeping this venue alive because it had a, a, a huge place in rock history. Hmm. And, um, and uh, it was a fun thing to do, you know. And uh, so that's kind of what that sh that show's about. Cool. So, Dave, Dave, are you going to go to GitCon next year? I think I might be going to GitCon next year. Yes. I really want to go, and I may have, you know, I may try and invite myself. But at the same time, I wonder, I wonder if it's the right fit for me. Sure. I mean, but if you're going, I mean, Pete. Pete has been very gracious about getting me into it. Yeah, and and yeah, let me know. Let me know if you're going to go. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, at least uh, tentatively in my head, I'm going. Um, yeah. uh, after the this last year, I said I was going to go. So yeah, good. Um, we might also, you know, go as a company and sponsor. You know, I hope you do. Throw some yeah. apps there, and yeah, it'd be great, and uh, and stuff like that. Um, I thought it was a great thing. I I looked at a lot of the videos, and I really love the Henning. I love him. Yeah, he's so he's so funny. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a nutcase, and uh, but he's so funny. Yeah. yeah. I, right now, I I keep seeing ever since Nam he's been on vacation in uh, Malaysia or something. Oh yeah, he had a beautiful. And, and I and I keep seeing. His uh, uh, picture is from Malaysia. I'm like going, oh man, I got to really ask him where this place is. I got. It looked I gotta gorgeous, go. right? It looked gorgeous. <laughs> There's like you know, like little huts on the beach, and 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 it just like this gorgeous uh, atmosphere. Yeah, and, uh, Europeans. Like, yeah, Europeans. They have no problem traveling. I have an Italian friend who goes to this amazing place in Thailand that he he might even buy a condo there. I mean, they just they go everywhere. Oh man, Thailand. That's an interesting thing. I, I remember one of my Facebook friends that I, I don't even know her very well. Um, in fact, I don't even know how I know her. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I am friends with her, and she was in Thailand and um, on a little island off the coast of Thailand or something, and she was posting pictures, and I just messaged her. I'm like going, where are you? <laughs> I want to know the name of the resort. And, and, you know, the funny thing is I looked it up, and it was literally like $100 a week. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Like, you That's know, crazy. the airfare is going to cost you, you know, a decent amount of money to get there. But but once you're there, you're going to stay um, in a little hut on the beach for uh, like $100 a week. And, like, you just walk out your door, and you're on yeah. the beach. And, and yeah. you know, it's just a nice little hut with a bed and everything. It's yeah. fine, you know. And, um, and you know, also, you know, friends that I know that have traveled there, it's like you eat for like $3 a day. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> like, Amazing. Um, I'm like going, this sounds nice. Let's it does. Yeah. 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 Let's get away. Yeah. Henning's pictures definitely look cool. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm sure his yeah. cost more than that. But Yeah. Hey, um, waiting for an alibi is asked a few times, so I want to ask this question. Uh, Andy from Shut Up and Play is friends with Tim. What can you tell us? Oh, you know, I had some nice conversations <clears throat> with him because I did a version of Purple Rain on YouTube that was taken. It was af after Prince passed away, and 
whoever was managing his businesses gave me a copyright strike for it. And, and on YouTube, that's a tough thing, actually. It was, it was, it kind of makes you feel pretty bad when somebody does it. That's a serious thing, you know, I, I, and, and I was really proud of the video and I was getting good views and, and everybody else who, who showed that song on YouTube was fine. Somehow I got singled out and I can understand kind of why, and I wrote them a really nice email offering to do anything I could to get them to reverse it. And I think they finally did reverse it, but it was three or four months later. So I had a conversation with him about it, and he kind of helped me through it because he had taught it, and and it was – his his got great numbers. Andy is – more i mean he's the best when i when i started doing popular songs on youtube like hendrix songs or whatever and he started doing them at around the same time i thought oh this guy is he's gonna outrun me and he he definitely has he does it purely for the love of it and i made a video where i was in the studio doing a zeppelin song that i had to do for this zeppelin remake record and I made a video and I sent an email to all my subscribers saying, this is the guy who taught me the song. I actually went to his video and learned the song from his hands. <sighs> and I made a video about that and, and showed myself in the studio. Um, I tried to, you know, I tried to get him to, to uh, monetize in a way. And I think he has monetized but only in a modest way. I think he takes donations through Patreon or something. But mm. I looked at his video collection by chance just last week, and it's even more huge. He never stops. He's so devoted. I don't know. I mean, it's we don't even know what he looks like. It's just the guitar. And uh, do you guys know this guy? You don't know him. See, I'm really connected to all these guys no, on YouTube. Know. And all he does is teach you all these great songs, and it's just a picture of his hands in the guitar. You don't even wow. know what he looks like. Huh. He's one of the uh, best. Anyway, that's I could. Yeah, he's. Well, there you I'm, go. I, I'm happy to be friends with him. That's cool. Um, how about this? Can we ask him about real tape echo versus digital delays for recording? What are your thoughts on the differences and what's worth using versus the real thing? Um, at this point, I just sold my Roland 501 chorus, Tom Bukovac showed me his a number of years ago and I went out and got a perfect one and I stopped using it. The problem with real tape echo is it's a mechanical machine that's going to break and has to be repaired. It'll break every five minutes. There you go. So, uh, so I finally sold mine and they're really popular right now. I paid 1200 for it and I think I got 1900 or 1700 or something like that for it. And the thing is the plugins in pro tools now are so delicious for lack of a better word that that i i get the delays i want from echo boy in a great measure and also like my line six echo park is a delay that i love it's really lo-fi i also because of shanks i ended up getting this korg sdd 3000 you know from back in the day so i like the digital machines because they don't break and when you actually do music you have to, you have, there's just certain things you can't. <laughs> it's got to work. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't have stuff, you've got to get the, the music done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So, okay. The thing I love about delays, I'm very, very specific. The delay has to be dark. It has to have the ability, like if I, if somebody releases a delay pedal and you can't roll down the top end on the delay, I'm not interested. Also, it has to have modulation. So, you know, tape delays generally do that naturally, right? They do mm -hmm. the, the flutter, the wow and flutter yeah. and yeah. the darkening. But digital delays do it now too. So for me, I have to have a delay where I can roll off the top end and then the actual delay hides underneath the guitar. It thickens the tone. It creates yeah. a float that you don't actually hear. I don't like to hear the trails. I like to hear the float that happens when you're using a delay and it's rubbing underneath the note that you hear out front. And then I like a delay to have modulation because I'm not going to use chorus, but I want the modulation. So the delay rubs yeah. all the time. That was so, a little bit of a wobble. Yeah. That's it. Cool. Now, do you have typically... You ever, have you ever heard the free the tone delay, Tim? Is that one of your products again? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What is it? Uh, free free the tone. Uh, they, it's a, a guy out of Japan. He used to work wow. for Providence years ago. And he makes a, a delay that looks like a 2290. <sighs> Even the whole screen looks like with the numbers and the uh, this is literally like it, it's a pedal. And it's got a totally old school style delay, like a 2290 operates. Literally think about that. Yeah. Uh, with the modulation section and the high and low pass filters. And uh, very simple because you can just look at it and go, well, here's the delay time. Great. You know, you're going to look it up, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a note of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to check it out, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I have one you can borrow if you want. Okay, I'll borrow it. You want to check it out. Uh, it, it, it's a very cool sounding. Uh, I, I like how it operates because, to me, it, it reminds me of an old rack piece, you know? Yeah. Where, which was very simple to operate. And, uh, you know, just no hidden parameters or anything. It's just all right there on your screen, and you can uh, just tap in what you want, you know? The mix, the however you want it to sound, but it operates like an old delay. Like I'll borrow it from you. I'll, I'll be I'll be there next week. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> you got a lot of stuff to pick up, Tim. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, hey, Dave, we got a question for you from David Curtis, who wants to know about the naked amp. Tell us everything you can. I think you talked about this before. Uh, naked amp was an amp I. Uh, originally did with Billy Howard though. Um, essentially what it was, was a, uh, uh, he liked the nailer amplifier and uh, it was uh, my take of adding a nailer front end into a Marshall power amp. Um, so it was a hundred watt amp. Originally I had modified his Marshall to be that because he specifically asked for that. And, um, so we did that, and then it became – it's a little different than a, than a nailer, uh, and uh, it became something that he loved. So then I made him uh, uh, a couple of his own amps uh, that I handmade uh, years ago, and he's been using those ever since. And uh, for a while, I was making a, a naked amplifier under the Friedman name, um, and – it wasn't like widely popular at the time. So uh, eventually we just sort of discontinued it. Um, and now there seems to be a lot more interest in it now. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe I should make it again. There's a question of uh, what amp currently is similar. None. Okay. It's kind of a unique thing. Uh, as Tim can attest, the nailer circuit doesn't really sound necessarily exactly like anything. Um, it, it sort of it has its elements of things, but uh, it, it's a much smoother sort of texture and tone, uh, kind of a darker amplifier in, in a lot of respects. Um, and uh, it wasn't like I, I was specifically asked to do, you know, copy the nailer front end, but can you put it in this Marshall? And so then we kind of came upon a, a recipe that worked for him. So awesome. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly a, me copying Nailer. In fact, I'm friends with Nailer, so <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't me trying to like uh, steal the circuit or anything like that. It was I, I was asked specifically for him, and then I just brought it out because well, he uses it, and he might as well offer it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Hey Tim, what about the uh, someone wants to know about the string butler? I guess you did a video about that or something. I did a video about that, and it's a good device. You can't put it on vintage style tuners. And I have several Gibsons with that, but it basically solves the straight, the, the, you know, Gibson headstocks, they go like this and they were, you know, they were meant to be played by players in the 50 with 50s. This is my theory. They were designed for players who had a wound G string and didn't pull strings. So it didn't matter that the headstock went like this. And then everybody in the world has been able to keep their Gibsons in tune except for me. For some reason, <laughs> I still can't keep my G-string in tune on a Gibson. And so the String Butler is a solution for that, and it really does work. It it takes, I mean, it's still, you still have to mother it a little bit, but it relieves a great percentage of that, you know, that angle. It, it, it's, it's really worth it. I mean, it's inexpensive. You just have to make sure that your tuners, uh, it'll fit under your tuners. I'm going to check it out. Let's check it out. Well, what do you think, guys? Should we uh, save? I mean, it's 930. I'm beginning to I'm fade. Beginning fade. To wilt. Okay. <laughs> no, it sounds good, Tim. But we the thing is, you know, the thing is, I, I'm inspired to do this again, and I feel like I, I, only, I only gave you like 1% of the stories that I could have given you, but they're, they're not really – the stories are not – they're not like decadent or anything. It's just more like scheduling yeah. problems and gig problems. And oh, we'd love to hear. Yeah, about of course, that stuff. great. You're you know, welcome so to come back anytime. Yeah, let's let's do it again, and I'll I'll, I'll maybe prepare some stuff. And maybe we'll get you on with Pete. Ah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's fun. he's you know I don't I don't know how he does everything he does, but he's definitely one of the best people I have ever met in my life. You know, love that guy. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Does he? I mean, Dave, you're with him all the time. I'm with but him he all probably, the time. <laughs> he never. He probably doesn't. He's probably in his studio working like all the time. Yeah, he's here uh, every day except today for some reason. Like he's not here. No, he was editing our video with Laurie Basillo. Oh, okay. that, that he was doing that at home. But uh, but you probably don't see. What I'm trying to say is you probably don't see him. He's no, probably just we, in we, there. we see him. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Every day, you know, <laughs> daily, basically. So that's nice. But he, You're but he works a lot. Yeah, that's cool. He's yeah. a good dude. Yeah. Um, no, Tim, thank you so much for for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you on for, geez, uh, three and a half hours. So unbelievable. Yeah, thank you. Thank I'm, you I'm like, I like, time. 
Yeah, I'm like, I couldn't believe uh, it, it's it was easy. You know, yeah. we that's the thing. We we often are, are like, well, maybe this one will be shorter this time. And then like, uh, it just, oh, it's, it's just like before we know, we look at the clock and it's 930. Yeah. And, uh, I, and it's I, like, I, I guess not. <laughs> I'm astounded. I am. Well, fine. we didn't quite make four hours this time. <laughs> well, that's, that's me. Right. You would. If I, if I didn't gracefully just kind of, you know suggest uh, you, we'd still be going so thanks yeah, man. it's yeah. great no no it's it. awesome well thank you and uh thank you. I, hope, I, have, I hope you have a great weekend can you want to just tell people uh how to get you know see your stuff where to find yeah all videos? you have to do that that's the thing i'm pretty easy to find if you google me everything comes up but if you go to my youtube channel and you want to check out the master class there's a link below every youtube video and it's really that simple. Or you can go to my website and just click the master, the word masterclass on my website. But if you, if you feel like taking the trial, it, there's no risk. Um, and it's not for everybody, but I have a couple of thousand members and I adore them. And I keep trying to, you know, uh, add great stuff to the behind the, you know, behind the wall. And, and if, if you don't want to do that, then I'm on, I'm on YouTube all the time too. So there you go. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Well, guys, have a great weekend. Dave, thanks again. I hope you have a good Happy weekend, thank too. Thank you. And uh, right. again, if you get anybody wants shirts, email me, tonetalkmark at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks. I'll be announcing the next guest soon. And um, that's it. Thanks again, Tim. Really Dave, appreciate it. Dave, I'll see it. you next week. Thank you, Mark. Thanks so much. Have a good night. All right. Bye-bye. You guys take care.